Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through.
thank you, everyone, for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the conservative conversation and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, normally, we only play a portion of uh, that song, but I figured with uh, our opening theme uh, and topic for this evening, I thought it would be appropriate to play the song in its entirety. Uh, now, where the this song, at least uh, for the show, originated, and it's been the opening song for the past five years since we've done the show, uh, going on uh, six years, I guess, um, since we've been going since, I believe it was uh, June of 2012, so we're working on our sixth year here. Uh, so uh, it was when uh, Newt Gingrich was running in the primary in 2012. You know, of course, as folks uh, may know, it was an uphill battle against Romney, since what the RNC uh, was, was, was doing, the trying to get Romney coordinated. But anyway, that's not the purpose of uh, having the song, but that is where it originated being the beginning of the show, uh, because the show did, you know, begin with uh, promoting and supporting uh, Newt Gingrich for president back in 2012. Uh, but tonight uh, we're going to have Dr. Tolbert on, and uh, we do have him on the line, so when he's ready, he'll push the one on his number dial like you, and we'll get him into the show. And uh, he's going to give us uh, what he's been working on uh, and also been visiting a number of shows, uh, signed on the foundation, and he'll be uh, giving us uh, what those shows are. I believe they're all archived uh, so that we can uh, listen to, you know, it's kind of a three-part series for him. Uh, so the, the third night, he's going to be talking about uh, you know, reorganizing the Veterans uh, Administration, uh, things of that nature, uh, what's been going on with the veterans and how we can improve uh, how the government is uh, treating our veterans. And also, of course, you know, one of the top uh, issues is you know, getting the uh, person who's going to be the heading ahead of the uh, Veterans Affairs and so I believe we'll be uh, speaking about that tonight as well uh, with Dr. Tolbert. But we also have some other topics we will d- discuss tonight, and I believe we also have uh, some folks, and he- he'll uh, convey that to us. On He'll be calling later on this evening on uh, his topic into the show. Uh, but also we're going to be talking about uh, you know some articles that you can find on the Bard's Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, such as uh, the possibility of some money laundering uh, by the Clinton Foundation, uh, as well as uh, flushing uh, career politicians. And so we'll be talking about that tonight. Uh, one you know, part of that conversation uh, is a constitutional convention, of course, uh, to bring out term limits, because, of course, the uh, representative Senate, they're not going <laughs> to – they're not going to vote themselves uh, term limits, so I guess we'll have to think of something uh, in order to do that. Now, a couple other things I want to uh, – okay, I just got a, a note that he's going to uh, – they'll, they'll start the conversation uh, with the Veterans Administration, uh, start that at about 1030. So we'll switch things up just a little bit here. Uh, then so first we'll go uh, to uh, the other portion of the show. We'll kind of mix things up a little bit, uh, but that's okay. It's kind of the uh, the nature of the show here. And this is uh, we'll start with our second topic here. And this is again you can find it on the Arts Logic uh, newsroom page. 
where you can get uh, other articles and videos and things of that nature, as well as check out the Bard's Logic uh, Political Talks uh, Give page uh, where you can assist me in uh, helping send my daughter to uh, Italy the next year. So uh, it's kind of a campaign that I'm running uh, in this 2018 campaign season. So check that out and you know see if you would be able to uh, help with that. Uh, but first is the article here from The Federalist, uh, but again, you can find that on the website uh, and our newsroom page, and that is bombshell. SEC records indicate Hillary, Clinton, Hillary campaign illegally laundered $84 million. Uh, and this is uh, an article by um, uh, Margot Cleveland. And this is an article yesterday. It says, the press continues to feed the dying Russian collusion conspiracy theory – spending Friday's news cycle regurgitating Democrat talking points from the just-filed Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act lawsuit against the Trump campaign, WikiLeaks, and Russia. Yet the mainstream media took no notice of last week's federal court filing that exposes an $84 million money laundering conspiracy the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign executed during the 2016 presidential election in violation of federal campaign finance laws. That lawsuit filed last week in a D.C. district court summarizes the DNC-Clinton conspiracy and provides detailed evidence from the Federal Election Commission filing confirming the complaint's allegations that Democrats took an extensive scheme to – undertook an extensive scheme – to violate federal campaign limits. It says, from bundling to money laundering, Dan Backer, a campaign finance lawyer and attorney of record in the lawsuit, explained the underlying law in an article for Investors Business Daily. Under the law, quote, an individual donor can contribute $2,700 to any candidate, uh, $10,000 to any state party committee, and during the 2016 cycle, 33400 to a national party's main account. These groups can all get together and take a single check from a donor for the sum of those contribution limits. It's legal because the donor cannot exceed the base limit for any one recipient. And state parties can make unlimited transfers to their national party. This legal loophole allows bundlers to raise large sums of money from wealthy donors, more than $400,000 at a time. It says, suspecting the DNC, okay, but once the money reaches the National Committee, other limits apply. Uh, see, uh, suspecting the DNC has exceeded those limits, a client of backers, the Committee to Defend the President, began reviewing FEC filings to determine whether there was excessive coordination between the DNC and Clinton. What Backer discovered, as he explained in an interview, was much worse. There was extensive evidence in the Democrats' own FEC records, when coupled with their own public statements that demonstrated massive straw man contributions papered through the state parties to the DNC and then directly to Clinton's campaign in clear violation of federal campaign finance law. On behalf of his clients, on December 15, 2017, Thacker filed an 86-page complaint 
with the FEC asking the FEC to commence enforcement proceedings against Hillary Clinton, her campaign and its treasurer, the DNC and its treasurer, and the participating state Democratic committees. The complaint and an attached exhibit consisting of nearly 20 pages of Excel spreadsheets details the misconduct and provided concrete evidence supporting the allegations. In short, here's what happened and what the evidence establishes. It says, during the 2016 presidential election, Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and participating state Democrat committees established the Hillary Victory Fund as a joint fundraising committee to accept contributions from large donors, some exceeding $400,000. So far, so good. To comply with campaign finance law, the HVC needed to transfer the donations to the specified recipients, whether the Clinton campaign, down to the Democrats, the DNC, or state committees. FEC records, however, show several large contributions reported as received by the HVF and the same amount of the same day or occasionally the following day recorded as received by the DNC from state Democrat committee but without the state Democrat committee ever reporting the contribution. For instance, HVF reported transferring 19500 to the Mississippi Democratic Party on November 2, 2015, and the Democratic National Committee reported receiving 19500 from the Mississippi Democratic Party on November 2, 2015. But the Mississippi Democratic Party never reported the receipt or the uh, disbursement of the $19,500, and without the Mississippi Democratic Party controlling the funds, the HVC could, uh, contribute contribution to the DNC violated campaign finance law. It says over a 13-month period, FEC records show some 30 separate occasions when the HVS transferred contributions totaling more than $10 million to the DNC without any responding record of the receipt or disbursement from the state parties, thus illegally leapfrogging the state Democratic parties. On the other hand, of the contributions state parties reported, as received by the HVF, 99% wound up at the DNC. They were transformed immediately or within a day or two, raising questions of whether the state Democratic Committee truly exercised control over the money, something necessary under campaign finance law to allow a, lay, a later legal transfer to the DNC. Again, evidence, like evidence is damning. According to Politico, while state party officials were made aware that Clinton's campaign would control the movement of the funds between participating committees, one operative who has relationship with multiple state parties said that some of their officials have complained that they weren't notified of the transfers into and out their accounts until after the fact. But the Clinton campaign control of the contributions did not end once the funds reached the DNC. As a complaint filed with the FCC detailed, rather public statements by former DNC chairwoman Donna Brazil acknowledged that as Hillary Clinton campaign moment, as Hillary Clinton's campaign gained momentum, she resolved the party's debt and put it on a starvation diet. It had become dependent on her campaign for survival, for which she expected to wield control of its operations. Gary Gensler, the chief financial officer of the Clinton campaign, which operated as Hillary for America HF, HFA, 
out of Brooklyn, New York, out of Brooklyn, New York, likewise stated that the Democratic Party was fully under the control of the Hillary – I'm not going to say Hillary, but the Clinton campaign. The campaign and the DNC on life support, giving it money every month to meet its basic expenses, while the campaign was using the party as fundraising clearhouse. Uh, it says by exercising control of the DNC's funds, including funds transferred from HVF through the state parties, any contributions qualified as donations to Clinton campaign for purpose of federal campaign finance law. And when property properly accounted for, exceeded a legal contribution limit. And so the, that's about you know just half of the article. So if, of course you know and we'll get back to it uh, here in a little bit. Uh, but first, so I'm getting all kinds of texts here. And so uh, what we've got here is. Of course, you know the media—they're always trying one thing or another to, you know, try to get, you know, try to get Donald Trump, which we all know that hiding these things, you know. And and one of the promises, and I talked to a colleague today, and he was talking about, well, you know, Trump, you know, is, is getting most of his promises, and you know, well, I don't, I don't know if I particularly agree with all of that. One of those promises I'm still wanting to see uh, is Hillary Clinton, you know, lock her up, lock her up. Remember, folks out there. Um, for that, you know, we'll wait and see. I mean, maybe it's going to take, you know, years and years before something finally happens. Uh, but it uh, looks like we might have uh, Dr. Cobra wanted to chime in early here. Uh, that may have been what the text for. Uh, for. And we'll definitely get back to this. I want to get back to this, folks, uh, probably in our second segment or so. But that kind of gives you a flavor of what we're going to be talking about uh, later. Uh, so, But let's go ahead and get in Dr. Colbert. He wants to chime in. Thank you very much, Dr. Colbert. How are you tonight? Uh, good, thank you. And, and the reason I sent that is because I wanted to just bring your attention to the other guest speakers that will be with me tonight. And so you would have a list of them so when the telephone numbers came in that you would be able to recognize uh, the two veterans, uh, Thomas Pastel and uh, uh, Stone uh, Rogers, who are the uh, two things. And uh, keeping you on track of what you're doing right now, you know, we talked about this. Uh, Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation for the last couple of years, the money they took out of Haiti, uh, the money they took out of uh, other organizations, uh, the uh, tie-in uh, to the Russian campaigns, uh, the uranium. Uh, it's, it's very involved. Uh, a lot of people don't totally comprehend where the money has went and what's going on. So we have to come back and just really – get into that the entire campaign contributions to everything that's happening throughout the United States is falsified. And I think, you know, another reason why we're waiting the 30 minutes for the show was to allow you to be able to voice what you do to other people. And we think it's important that when we're on a talk show that the president of the United States gets the full comprehension about a subject matter. And so I'd like for you to just stay on your subject for a couple more minutes, and then we'll bring everybody together on the veterans, if that's okay with you, Robert. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. Yeah, we could definitely, uh, yeah, definitely do that. Certainly. 
Um, and yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, people have been talking about this, for, you know, for you know, quite a long time. Uh, not just you know, uh, you know, about her campaign, but the Clinton Foundation and, and the, the pay for play and things of that nature. I mean, which yeah, I've read the article, and I don't think it uh, even mentions anything like that. Uh, you know, about the the, the pay to play. But that's something you know that needs to be investigated too. And you know, I'll, and they're talking about you know cleaning the swamp, and we're going to talk more about you know that uh, you know later on the show. Uh, but you know, well, we'll continue on. Uh, we'll we'll continue off the article. I want to do be able to get all you know that in because if we do end up running later, you know, because we do have Tom uh, Pastel and Stone Rogers coming on, you know, we want to give them a full amount of time. Uh, that they can. So just in case we don't get back to it, I do want folks to be able to get this information here. Um, so basically, and this talk about the, the Supreme Court says, the, it, hello? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay. Okay. So the illegality of this scheme isn't a matter of debate. The Supreme Court made clear in 2014, the McCutcheon versus FEC, uh, this exact scenario would violate the law. Here's how the court laid it out. A donor gives a $500,000 check to a joint fundraising committee uh, composed of a candidate, a national party committee, and most of the party's state party committees. The committees divide up the money so that each one receives the maximum contribution possible under the base limits. Then each transfers its allocated portion to the same committee. Uh, that committee uses the money for the coordinated expenditures on behalf of a particular candidate. And so the Supreme Court declared, and this is quoted, uh, lest there be any confusion, a joint fundraising committee is simply a mechanism for individual committees to raise funds collectively, not to, concert, not to circumvent base limits or earmarking rules. Under no circumstances may a contribution to a joint fundraising committee result in an allocation that exceeds the contribution limits applicable to its constituent parts. The committee is, in fact, required to return any excess funds to the contributor. And the earmarking provisions prohibited an individual from directing funds through an intermediary or conduit to a particular candidate. So it sounds like you know they got all these separate committees here, and they're all funneling different, you know, getting different money, and you know instead of and all of it going to the uh, Clinton campaign, uh, you know, for for her run there in 2016. I mean, 84, <laughs> 84 million dollars. Now, through my understanding, you know, somebody <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, of course, you know, I know I'm not trying to say there's tit for tat going on here. Of course, now they were talking about. Um, you know, the raid. I mean, that, this is why the Democrats better be careful, <laughs> uh, and especially Hillary, because, you know, of course, they're, they're talking about the the raid of Trump's uh, lawyer's uh, house and hotel and, and, and office, you know, you know, trying to find, you know, something which absolutely has nothing to do with the Russian collusion, but just to try and find nothing. And now they're trying to get, you know, all well, maybe, you know, with that, uh, that porn star, I can't remember her name, see how important she is, um, you know, where, you know, there was some kind of payoff or the, something to hush her up, I think like $130,000 or something, and trying to somehow say that was used as a country, you know, campaign contribution. I mean, that that's fake BS stuff. You know, what the Democrats need to be careful of, <laughs> at least look here is, you know, hey, you're trying to, 
trying to you know make something out of nothing, or as my mom used to say, a mountain out of a molehill. When you got real stuff like this, eighty-four million dollars. I mean, look, we're talking about Trump. Uh, we're talking about one hundred thirty thousand dollars, and we're talking about eighty-four million dollars here. Uh, so, again, be careful, Democrats, because and one thing that we know that they're always bad with, and the left is bad with, is they always try to point their finger about something. Uh, try to expose somebody for something, uh, pin something on something for something that they're guilty of uh, themselves. And so, <laughs> excuse me, that's something that they've been doing. And they better be careful. And hopefully, the people, uh, you know, will really pay attention and wake up to this, uh, so that you know they're coming after Trump. They really are. Uh, and so, and we'll hopefully we'll talk again, you know, later on about this, you know. Draining the swamp and keeping uh, the Democrats from uh, winning in the so-called blue wave we keep hearing about, uh, and you know, in, in November of this year. But believe me, folks, it's going to come. Uh, um, I really don't want to digress, but I, I really want to make this point, and I am kind of going off the subject here. But one of the things I was talking to a colleague about today is, you know. What we really need is uh, we need to have, you know, organizations like the Tea Party or something of that nature who we always see the left. They're always out there picketing. They're always out there marching. Uh, I really think people who are uh, organizers, you know, group organizers, things of that nature, maybe uh, they're still doing things with um, overpasses for America uh, maybe if they're still doing things, maybe they can, you know, get get a lot of folks together. But, I, I mean, I really think there needs to be, you know, tr- support for Trump rallies. As I said, I know we're going off topic here, but, you know, I, this is something I, I wanted to make sure I, I mentioned tonight. Uh, as I think we, you know, we, we need those rallies. I think a ton of people need to go out and, you know, get organizers and, and, and make signs and show that, hey, we support Trump. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you know, Alice to Dooley, you know, like the president that, you know, we the people voted for. And now, of course, they're going to bring up, oh, well, you know, you, you actually lost the popular vote. Well, you know, you got your group think, uh, you know, on the West Coast and the Left Coast, right? Not that's the same thing, but, uh, you know, the East Coast and the Left or West Coast, you know, they're pretty much, you know, as I said, you know, single, you know, mind, you know, group think is what I was trying to say. And so, I mean, I'm not saying their vote don't count. Don't get me wrong, you know, folks. But I mean, the, the, they have a singularity in how and in, in how they vote. Very, uh, very rare uh, uh, for that. And I do see some other callers. Just, yep, just push the one on your number dial. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I already pushed the one. Now, Doctor Tober, are they they wanting to get in now or? Yeah, yeah. You can go ahead and, and let uh, uh, Tom and uh, Stone in, and I will talk uh, for the opening. And what we've been doing is I will open up with a covering what we did on Monday and what we did yesterday, and then uh, they will come on and add to what we're doing today to bring it together. So you can go okay, ahead. Real and, quick, I got and, uh, whoever whoever six eight two is. I do have their mic open. Okay. Uh, that. Uh, will be um, six oh two. Will be uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Rogers. Okay, so okay. he's he's with us, and then Tom is going to come from four oh seven when he signs in. But let's just let's okay. open it up where you're at because leading where you're at is exactly where we're going with this. 
Um, I'm proactive. And so what does proactive mean? I'm first, I'm no party affiliated. And when I was doing a talk show on Monday, someone made a comment, well, why would you want to run for the U S Senate as a write-in candidate? And you're, you're talking about, you want to head the department of the veterans administration. And I said, I guess you guys don't understand politics. And let me just explain it to you a little bit. The Admiral Jackson, who is the nominee for the Veterans Administration, uh, was under intense investigation over a probable or possible usage of alcohol and drugs. The president goes to him and to the news and says, one of the problems we have with my nominee is he doesn't understand politics. He was a surgeon and that he is unable to get confirmation because he don't know how to deal with the members of Congress. And that is why anyone who is going to be in any position and on our website, we actually get into the problems of who can be confirmed and who does not need to be confirmed and how Congress is going against the confirmation that the president has brought in. So now what does that bring us to? Well, what that brings us to, is first, I'm a retired master sergeant. I spent 22 years in the military. I'm a um, uh, veteran from Vietnam. Uh, I travel through all the veteran hospitals. I write articles, and I've been writing articles since 2004. President has my resume. He's had it now for several months. Uh, He understands what I'm doing, and we're sending a package uh, every month now between 80 pages on subjects. Our subject that we're really getting into in the month of June is going to be who is going to be the new head of VA and the problems with VA. So what did we do on Monday? Monday, we laid the cornerstone. A cornerstone is when you have to build a house, you have to lay a foundation. So what we did on Monday, we laid a foundation of the historical reasonings, the purpose, how the veterans were protected in the Civil War, how this got changed in 1930, how then in the 1980s it gets changed, how then in 1987 it becomes a confirmation position and a secretary under uh, the president signs a bill, uh, how there is $260 million, a billion dollars being spent taking care of the veterans, Uh, the number of current veterans by percentage, the fact that 54% of the budget uh, for uh, defense is actually going toward the veterans. Then what we did, we say, well, how do we reorganize this? So we summarize and we spend an hour and a half on yesterday going to, well, what do we do to correct the problem? And there was one issue that Tom presents is that you have to get it totally out and away from all control of everybody and only the president. And you have to close it down and you have to reorganize it. Now, Tom and I are about the same age as veterans. And Stone, Mr. Rogers, comes in and goes into a detail. There's the difficulty and training and 
Mr. Rogers is part of what they call Crisis 22, and 22 is about 22 veterans commit suicide every day. So we get into the how we put the walls up now. So we're getting into, okay, now we have this, the foundation. We're going to build the walls, and we're going to lay the path. Well, what we did for a wall, we said if we change the veterans and we go to Warren Buffett's type of medical care that he does as a multi-thing, or do we look at a government? It looks like we lost Dr. Tolbert, uh, uh, but we can go ahead. And, oh, there he is. Let's bring him. Go ahead and bring it back on. Sorry about Dr. Yeah, uh, Dr. I, Tolbert. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. My phone is going 10 or 15 minutes and wants to cut off. I guess NSA is monitoring closer than I thought. So, and, and anyway, where we're at, we're looking at. You hear me okay now? Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Go ahead. All right. So what we did, we said if we set up a new system, we have to look at it from New York to Key West was Highway 1 and A1A. That's the highway. Let's call that the VA. The VA currently is a non-productive organization where all of the equipment that they have is annuated. So imagine that you do not have I-95. Imagine you don't have major highways. Imagine that the only thing that you have is the small two-lane highways uh, that's going I-10 or any other highway. Well, that's currently the problem with the Veterans Administration. It's unable to provide care, proper care. So building the walls last night, we said we got to build a wall which is going to reflect I-95 or the turnpikes where we can uh, get the system to work, where the veterans can get into the system. Then what we did is we got into, well, you got TRICARE. TRICARE is about a $54 billion budget versus the Veterans Administration, which is a $280 billion budget. TRICARE is for the military personnel that spent 20 years and they become what they call life members. So I'm TRICARE. I'm a 22-year veteran, so I have TRICARE. But I'm also what they consider a a veteran uh, VA because there was disabilities through the military. So I also have VA. Well, I'm also over 62, so I have Medicare. So I can go and use the principles of HMOs and PPOs, and I don't need VA. If I go to VA... It costs me more money to go to VA than if I use the private care through TRICARE or Medicare. And I can't get the same treatment because VA doesn't treat the soldiers as they can be treated in private care. So we get into should we go into privatization? How do we change all that? Well, one of the comments last night was made, and we've done some research on it today, that when Reagan signed the bill and presented that VA became and needed a confirmation, it restricted the ability of the president to actually fire, or not fire somebody, but to hire somebody. He can fire anybody. So he can make a recommendation who is going to be the VA, secretary of VA. 
he can then has to wait for the confirmation, and after its confirmation, then the budget and everything gets controlled. So the president can guide and oversee it and fire the guy, but he's still under the control of the Congress, just as he is in the FBI and other members of, I think there's like 1,600 positions that fall under that he has to get approval. And then he has the other staff positions that he doesn't need approval. So in looking at what Tom was presenting last night, I went back over and looked at, can we then reorganize VA and is it going to be able to take the VA and put it back in the position that it was before it became the uh, secretary of VA and became a needed confirmation. Based on the Constitution, it currently would not be possible because the way they have put it under the Constitution and done it. However, having said that, it's still the commanders-in-chief responsibility to ensure that the VA does handle itself properly. So what the president can do is form a committee under the executive branch that can oversee and ensure that the VA is being handled properly. They can then brief the secretary of the VA. They can then tell the secretary of VA what they want and what they expect, and the president can fire him if he doesn't do that. Then there came the problem that there's uh, over 300,000 workers working for the Veterans Administration, and their payroll is quite substantial. And the problem with that is many of the workers who work in VA are not veterans. And now the majority of the workers in VA are Spanish or from the islands, and they're not even original natural citizens. So the lower pay that they're paying people who are members of the Department of Veterans Administration taking care of our veterans are not bilingual enough to comprehend and discuss issues with our veterans who have the PTSD. We're going to get in tonight. Now, how do we put a roof on this? So now we laid out the Monday show, and we, which was with Sally, American statesman, and then we laid out the show that we did with um, uh, Karen, and we got into the uh, American Freedom Watch uh, show last night, and now, of course, Brad's uh, Logic Political Talk tonight. So there'll be five hours, uh, probably between 80 to 100 pages put together. And now what I've got to do is when it's all done and said, and we take these five hours, I've got to summarize it in about 10 pages. I've got to add it to the articles. I've got to put it in a binder. I've got to send it to the president. And I've got to send it to the director of VA. And I've got to ensure that the organizations uh, are part of where we're going here. So we have uh, Stone on. Did Tom come on yet, uh, uh, Robert? I believe so, Uh uh, Tommy okay, on. Let's... Area code six zero two. I got you on. That's Stone. I'm here. 
Yeah, I'm here. Stone. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I got Stone on him. Okay, what? sorry. Yeah. Uh, Stone, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Tom. No, I don't, I don't see Tom yet. Okay. And he may not come on because he probably got the horse talking too much. Uh, Mr. Rogers, what I'd like you to do is kind of recap a little bit what you've been doing the last couple of days and a little bit about Agenda 22 for uh, Robert, would you please? Sure. The Crisis 22 Project, we deal with the 22 veterans who commit suicide a day in the United States. We right now are in the state of Arizona, Maricopa County. We're basically in all the police cars and all the emergency units when they come across a veteran or a first responder. We're the boots on the ground that will come out at 3 o'clock in the morning, put our arms around that vet, get them back into the system or a system that works for them. And our partner companies, our partner nonprofits, help take care of the families and the wives and the children because it's just not a soldier's plate. It's the whole family's plate. And if the soldiers are going to get help, we have to be able to help the families as well. I think over the past couple of days, and I hope Dr. Tolbert doesn't mind me saying this, I'm kind of trying to bring, like, the young part of us back through, and I can understand a lot of the plight that's going on since the Vietnam era war, and I was in Bosnia, I was in the infantry, I was a scout, and I was right pre-9-11, I was not post-9-11 as in Afghan, Afghanistan and Iraq, um, so between the t- three of us the past couple of nights, We've been trying to hammer out, like Dr. Tolbert said, a system that would satisfy both the old and the younger vets and take care of the problems that we're dealing with every day, such as a perfect example. I got my DD-214, and they lost my service record, and yet I have an expeditionary medal, which means I was overseas. I got a letter back the other day from the Department of the Army stating, I'm sorry we can't verify your overseas service, please contact the Department of the Army um, Finance Department. Why they can't pick up a phone and call them, I have no idea. Simplest thing in the world, yet the miscommunication is there, and that's just one of the problems. Like Dr. Tolbert said, one of the other problems is we have, say you have a doctor who's from India who's paying off their college debt, and they're paying it off in the VA. Yet I'm a soldier of PTSD, which I am. I lost my wife and my stepkids. And I go there to talk to this doctor, and the doctor's trying to prescribe me medication and tell me how I should feel. Yet that doctor has never been a veteran, has never held a weapon, has never bled for the United States of America. I understand they might be a citizen, but it's a completely different area and aspect when you're a veteran to be talking to a veteran than a veteran to be talking to someone who doesn't understand. It's very demeaning, and you get a lot of, not hostility, but you get a lot of anger built up inside that, okay, I'm not being taken care of. And Dr. Tolbert is trying very hard, like he said, to try to work by bringing the VA into a system that works for everyone and helps everyone, whether that be it by bringing down the VA and rebuilding the VA or by bringing down the VA and giving all the soldiers cards that they can go see doctors they need to see on their own. Um, Dr. Tolbert, I'm sure he'll go into, has a great, great, wonderful idea that I've talked to everyone about, and they think it's amazing that when a soldier gets deployed and they come back, if they go on a six-month deployment, they need to spend at least one month back in CONUS where they get retrained in how to come back into an American society, how they're dealing with their families, how they deal with their kids, 
because we're sending kids in there now that aren't like Dr. Tolbert, and I think I was probably the last conflict that actually knew who the enemy was in the uniform. These kids are going out and dealing with mothers, fathers, kids who are holding IEDs, who are taking up arms, and then we're expecting these kids to come back and be good husbands and wives and take care of their kids, and that's just not happening. So Dr. Tolbert has a very strong admiration to try to bring training back in to our soldiers before they get let back out into the civilian world to try to retrain them, and he agrees. And so does Tom, who's not here, that if that would have happened in the Vietnam era and we would have taken care of our soldiers and trained our soldiers how to come back into society, we might have had a lot less problems than we have now. Yeah, and, you know, what you just said is, is you know, let's go back to the last guy that was uh, nominated, David uh, Shurkin, and his comments. And then let's look at our comments and then how – he has just been relieved for duty for manipulating funds, money, and not overseeing properly. He made a statement of confirmation. I told Trump that I'm a strong advocate for VA, and the services that are available at VA are not available in the private sector. Well, that's totally untrue. The services in the private sector are more available to the veterans than it is in VA. Uh, in Miami, there were over 1,600 veterans that came down with HIV and hepatitis C. HIV cannot be checked or, or, or followed through with through the VA because they don't have the medical facilities to do anything or to care for the veterans, nor do they have the same thing with Agent Orange and other things. So here was a statement of the guy running saying that you need to keep VA hospitals because of the fact they're better equipped, and they're actually not. They're antiquated. My view of where VA needs to go is an integrated system of care taking the best of VA and the best of the community. Okay, now you just contradicted yourself. What you're saying is exactly what we're saying, that if you took a veteran and you out-processed him in the 30 days and you did the transition and you gave him a card and the card was, you're a veteran, and therefore you have the ability to use HMOs, PPOs, and go to your local clinics. Your local clinics then can help assign you, work with you, and work with your family, but we're going to take the major hospitals, we're going to sell them to Warren Buffett or to another group of individuals who is going to totally relook at it, and we're going to then work with the veterans, of the seven different organizations that veterans have, the local communities and major, the, the medical facilities, but we're going to get rid of that $300 million budget and we're going to get rid of 300,000 people. Now, the question last night was, how do you transfer 300,000 people out of their job and you put them back in society? Anytime a major corporation buys another corporation, people that are qualified stay on the job. People that are not qualified don't stay on the job. Well, the Supreme Court ruled that the commanders or directors of a hospital have no authority to fire a person that is delinquent or incapable of taking care of your veterans because they're a federal employee. Think about that a second. A federal employee has a right to stay on a job, even in a state 
that you called right to work. In the state of Florida, I can fire you without cause because I want to, because I don't like you, because I don't think you're doing the job. But a federal employee cannot be fired even though if they're incompetent. Currently, some veterans are facing a long wait time as far as distance to a VA facility. They can seek private care under the Choice Card Program approved by Congress in 2014. Well, what was the problem with that? They, they can't use it. Well, why can't they use the Choice Program? Well, it's very simple. Uh, last August, we sent letters to President Trump, and he was not going to fund the Choice Program. We convinced him, and he funded it. There's two restrictions on the choice program. You have to get an appointment that's going to be within a 30-day period or you use the choice program. 31 days, you get to use private. And you have to be within 45 miles or less. You stay with the VA, 45 miles or more, you get a private doctor. West Palm Beach and other places, and I visit about 200 of them, are putting the rule that we want to keep you within the 30-day period, but we're not going to pay any attention to the miles because we want our budget to go up, and when we don't get more veterans, we don't get more money, and so we need the money more than we need you to take care of yourself. So uh, I just got a text, by the way, uh, uh, about uh, Trump's uh, nominee, is talks with the White House about withdrawing uh, Randy Jackson. So another coincidence going on. Uh, so uh, I think that's kind kind of what I just said that he probably will withdraw. Uh, so let's go back into now what what this guy said. This is the guy who just got fired on being able to fire people accused of wrongdoing. Highlights that a court ruled a law passed by Congress to give the secretary streamlined ability to do so was ruled unconstitutional by the justice. So here the Supreme Court is saying, your veterans don't need to be taken care of. Your Supreme Court then needs to be removed by Congress. So who needs congressional approval? And this is all going to be on there. So I'm going to bring it back to you, uh, uh, Stone, and you pick it up from there. You know, it's interesting. Before I became a disabled vet, I, the government, and the government and the VA would always cover. And someone told me the reason I always got my appointments and everything else is because by not being a disabled vet, whenever I went into the VA, it was a direct line for money to come back to the VA. But the minute I became a disabled vet, then I then I all of a sudden became part of the red tape community, where now the money doesn't get funneled in directly. Now they have to jump through hoops to get money to me. So I'm not as important as I was before. Don't get me wrong. I love the people at my VA. I love every one of them. They've always been the nicest to me. But their hands are tied from the Congress and the Senate and everybody up upstairs. So Dr. Tolbert's right. I mean, what do we do? How do we fix this program? I mean, if this guy who's now not is going to quit his job or quit the nomination because they're putting too much strain on him, well, how is anything ever going to get fixed? They need to put someone in there who cares about the veterans, who knows how to run a corporation, knows how to run a business, such as Dr. Tolbert, who's done it very well, who actually knows that, you know, there is green pasture on the other side, but you've got to go through the minefield to get to it. And Dr. Tolbert has gone through the minefield, and he knows what minefield to go to to get there. And 
I'm very competent in the state of Arizona. I'm very competent in how I handle things and how I do things. But I do agree, if you gave me the VA tomorrow, we would have to figure out how to shut it down, how to put 300,000 people back into the workforce, how to retrain our soldiers, how to get them the training they need necessarily to come back into the United States of America and come back into their family lives. I mean, it has to be completely revamped, almost to the point where it's unheard of. It just has to be done. Am I correct, Dr. Tolbert? Yeah, and that's exactly where we were at, is that when you look at what you just said, is that if a individual is going to head an organization, should he have been an admiral in the Navy surgeon who was a private and personal doctor of President Trump? Or should it be somebody who has not only the educational degrees and also the background of military combat and oversaw hundreds and hundreds of people and understood plans and operations and business organization and had also degrees in education and can find the technical problems that need to be done? And this is one of the problems we have with the nominees in in the past. And if Tom was on, he would show you that one of our first ones stole $200 million and was then put in jail uh, when he Jeez. was a VA guy. Uh, that the Veterans Administration money is going to bonuses to the top end and nothing's being done to the lower end. Uh, so what you have to do, it's the same thing falling under the Constitution. The president and the executive and, and Congress and the federal government has 17 responsibilities. Some people want to say it's 18. I stick with 17. Under those 17, if it's not done under those 17, that means it belongs to the Amendment 10. And some people include Amendment 9 there, which means that it belongs to the state. Well, let's think about and put the VA in the same category. Let's say that the secretary of the VA has to be responsible for the overseeing the top echelon, but everything below the top echelon falls down to the lower echelon. We'll put them at then the ninth and 10th amendment, but everything then has to tie back in and be correctly structured as the constitution would be that every veteran, if you were in New York or if you were in the Philippines, because they have VA hospitals in the Philippines, would be able to be on record, and why should I have to call in if I'm a veteran going for records to the finance to get my 214 in order to prove the fact, why hasn't the veteran set up a program? Now, you go to Daytona Beach, Florida, they take care of the problem. You go to Tampa, Florida, they don't take care of the problem. You go to West Palm, they don't take care of the problem. You go to Miami, and Miami and I don't talk only to veterans. I talk to staff. I talk to the personnel. I write letters to the directors of the hospitals, and I find out what their problems are. Is our secretary of VA going to be willing to get a Class A motorhome, travel from every county, visit everybody with a complete office and a computerized system? Is he going to be able to set up a staff of members does everybody understand when I lay out a plan to you, it's going to take one to five years to reorganize the Veterans Administration? And somebody says, well, can't you do it overnight? No, I can't build the highway from New York to 
uh, Miami or Key West overnight. No one is going to be able to do this overnight. But we don't let anything fall the crack. We take the old system, we make it operate better, and then we form the new system. So we're going to phase out the 300,000 people. We're going to take the veterans and put them in the jobs and the positions that are being held by civilians who are not aware of. We're going to train our military personnel through the Veterans Administration, through the jobs. Now, back in the days of the old, a veteran had first priority of any federal job. People didn't realize that. Any federal job. It Mm -hmm. just wasn't the post office. You had priority. You no longer have priority as a veteran. In fact, if you leave and go out of country as a soldier, you're supposed to come back to the job. Well, guess what? That's not happening. So let's take a case where Stone is working with a veteran, and he's a veteran, and it's an organization. How do we get that organization and all the military organizations to work together under a system that they become the tentacles to make sure that VA is working. Should they only be clubs of entertainment, or should we have staff members that go there and teach, work, and talk? What's your thoughts on that, Stone? And we also have have, uh, our friend Joseph from Hawaii on the line. He's going to want to chime in, but we'll go ahead and – uh, get your comments, Stone, and then we'll bring in uh, Joseph. Go ahead, Stone. That's fine. Go ahead. The VAs come from Florida to visit us, and they asked us to help them in the fight for suicide, which we definitely agree with. But the one thing that we said, which we should never have to say, was when we looked at him, we said, we'll be more than happy to bring a veteran back to the VA as long as the veteran is comfortable coming to the VA. I can't believe we ever had to say as long as the veteran is comfortable coming back to the VA. We also had to tell the VA that, you know, we don't necessarily believe in all of your rules, regulations, and your thoughts and the way you do things. You have to understand that if we bring a soldier to another avenue, it's because that soldier's had a problem with the VA. And it's shameful that I have to say that because the VA should be where we should be sending everybody. But I agree with Dr. Tilbert. You have to be able to reach out to the tentacles. You've got to be able to reach out to groups like the Crisis 22 Project and other groups that deal with veterans. But if you don't have your ducks in a row, if you don't have your ducks in an order, there's no way we're going to be able to bring everybody to you because they're so gun-shy from going to you in the first place that we have to turn to other mm-hmm. avenues. Yeah. And, yeah, I've, and got, uh, I've got a cousin that, who's that, always opining about them. Yeah, and that that goes back into the fact of why do we have all these other organizations supporting our veterans, and yet we're spending uh, $260 billion at VA, and here are these 501c3s that are out there uh, setting up and doing supporting and trying to help our veterans, and the federal government is not helping our veterans because their organization is not doing their job. We did not train our veterans to train and care for our veterans. And I think that's really where it comes back to. You know, when I went in the Army in 1961, I had to go through a process, and all the military hospitals had military doctors, military nurses, military care people. 
Well, what they did over and after Vietnam, they phased these out and they brought civilians into these positions. These civilians don't have the same care or attitude that these veteran doctors did. Is this going to be a problem if we transfer from a military VA system and we go more into a, a, a non-military system? Can we use the private system and get the adequate care? This is going to be the transition issue that they're trying to tell you. Now, they're trying to tell you that all these major outside areas really want to keep VA as it is. Well, that's a total lie. They really don't want to keep VA like it is. They want to be taken care of, and that's why they're operating uh, separately. So I think it's it's really got to come down to you have to have a committee of about 15 to 20 people. You have to have a budget of restructure. You have to spend about a year setting it up. Then you have a two- to five-year time period where you get it transferred, where somebody says, well, that's crazy. No, it's not, because if you look at the transition period of the 1800s to where we're at today in 2018, or if you looked at when we actually formulated the VA as a a department with a secretary head that has to be confirmed in 1987, and here you are 30 years later and you still don't have it, it's it's not unusual that somebody that really knew how to structure it and went into Ford Motor Company and said, we need to change your assembly line, and Ford says, no, I'm not going to do it. And then all of a sudden he looks, oh, gee, I'm not selling cars. So he restructures it, and it takes him a year or two to get back in the market again. So that's the same as organizing a VA. It's no difference than what happened in Ford Motor Company. Um, you want to go ahead and bring your other guest speaker in, uh, Robert? Yeah, I've got uh, Joseph on, uh, so let's go ahead and bring in Joseph. Thank you very much, Joseph. It's great to hear from him again. How you been? Joseph went to lunch. Well, it is about uh, six hours, so it's only about maybe dinner because it's about 5 o'clock, I think, or 6 o'clock there in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. I would, yeah I, I would like I would. I would like to say something, if you don't mind, and I'm... Uh, I, we got your no, mic open now. Uh, real, real, real quick, uh, Stan. Uh, okay. uh, just chime in when, when, you, when you're when you ready. I, I do have your mic up, but go ahead, Stan. All right, look, this is hard for me, okay? And But I'm not one to pull punches. I, like I said, I had PTSD, okay? And I deal with veterans all week long who want to take their lives. I was at the VA the other day talking to one of the psychiatrists. I, I admit it. You know, I, I get, I, you know, I have to hear about all these soldier stories and about all of them trying to take their lives. And like Dr. Tolbert says, I am not trained like a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I was literally talking to the psychiatrist going, Doc, my brain is just full of stories. And uh, the doc looked at me and goes, do you ever come? Do you ever think about suicide? I said, Doc, I think about suicide every single day. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I hear it from every soldier every day. How could I not think about suicide? I'm the one who has to bring them to you, but I'm the one who has to see them first. So I have to go through their stories and their grief and their mental anguish. And then on top of it, my soldier's life, my grief, my mental anguish, my losing, my marriage, 
when fixing myself and trying to put all of it together to get him back into a system. Dr. Tolbert's right. I'm not qualified. I mean, I can't say I'm not qualified because I've taken classes on crisis counseling and how to help. But I didn't go to school to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I shouldn't have to be the one sending them to the VA and having to deal with all the openness and, and raw emotion from all these soldiers. But I do it because it's my family and I love them and I bring them there. But he's right. I'm not trained to do this like a psychologist is. And if I may ask, uh, if I may ask Stone, uh, and if, if if not, you know that's that's fine, because uh, you know I've, I've often wondered um, what I mean. And you sound like, and you have heard a lot of stories, you know, and unfortunately for uh, soldiers that you know you know considers or at least think about uh, suicide. Is that I mean, is there like uh, a common topic or theme or, or something of that nature that? that seems to bother soldiers the most uh, that makes them feel that way or, you know, that they'd want to do something like that? The number one concern soldiers have, the reason they won't go to the VA, is because they worry about losing their rights as a citizen in the United States of America. That is the number one thing I hear almost all the time when I talk to a soldier is the reason they're not walking into a VA because of the minute they walk into a VA and get labeled, they lose their rights as a citizen. They lose their rights to make their own decisions. That worries them, and that keeps them away from the VA. That's one very big problem that we have. And what, one of, which one of the, the biggest reasons is having your stories also with them on why these soldiers, you know, you know, they have the PTSD. I mean, what, what's the cause of it, you know? Well, what's, well, what what's the main thing that seems, that seems to put them in the mindset of, of wanting to have suicide? Yeah. What it's, they're doing, Robert, is they're putting them on drugs. Yeah, yeah. what they're doing, Robert, is they're actually taking the soldiers on PS, PTSD and they're putting them on drugs rather than psychologically taking care of them. So oh, they're converting them where their mindset is not capable to be psychologically uh, coping with their job, their performance, and their life. So there is no qualified member within the VA organization that can properly psychologically deal with you as you could if I was assigned to a private uh, psychiatrist. Uh, drugs are not going to correct the problem. They've already proven that the drugs they're putting in, and they started this back in Vietnam and other places where they used the veterans as a test measure. So I think if you go back to Stone here again and – uh, look at when will they say, well, what we need to do is put you on a drug rather than we're going to psychologically train you. My well, objective, uh, yeah, if I can, I understand. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I understand my, that. I mean, my, just for example, just for example, when I would uh, and then I would get uh, Joseph in because Joseph Reddy, I mean, we got plenty of time yet, folks. Is, I mean, I, I was doing some research the other day, and uh, I knew someone who was recently diagnosed uh, with a, an eating disorder. And the first thing we wanted to do is, uh, yeah, they mentioned counseling, but another thing they just wanted to do was send the person, was put the person on medication. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, counseling, and then, you know, put them on this drug. It's like, well, how, you know, I just, it's amazing how fast it seems that they want to put them on, on you know, some kind of drug. But let's go ahead, as a, you know, but let's go ahead and bring it uh over to you, Joseph, then we'll bring it back to you. And, uh, thank you very much, Joseph. Uh, it's okay about the play. Go ahead. 
sorry about that. I was in a noisy area. It's great to be back on the show. And I forgot that when the clock changed in New York, uh, when I was calling into the show prior, we were a five-hour difference behind Eastern Standard Time, and I didn't realize now we're a six-hour difference. So uh, when I chimed in before 5, I thought it was 10 o'clock, but it was actually 11. So my apologies, everyone. Uh, I'll definitely get that right for next week. But, um, you know, the VA system has been a system that's been broken for a very long time. Uh, My opinion on that is you have many soldiers who have uh, risked their lives. A lot of them, especially from the Vietnam War, came back with emotional scars, post-traumatic stress disorder, and a lot of them wound up in the streets, homeless and uh, not properly taken care of. And our government has definitely uh, did the greatest disservice to our veterans. My father, he served in the military, has in the Navy for two years. And uh, right now he has cancer. And uh, while I was in New York, the I went to the VA and uh, the VA said there's not much resources that they had at their disposal to uh, help my father uh, because uh, 80% of his insurance is covered by Medicare because uh, of his retirement, but the other 20% is not covered. So a lot of his drugs and uh, cancer treatments are not being covered. And we went to the VA in the hopes of saying, look, he served our country honorably. He's sick. Uh, he uh, can't get uh, another insurance company to approve him for the 20%. These are medications that are life and death to him if he doesn't get it. And the answer from the VA administrator was, I'm sorry, we just don't have the resources. There's nothing we can do at the moment, but feel free to uh, check in in about six months. And um, that is the most disheartening thing, or one of the most disheartening things I've ever heard Um How can our government uh, treat uh, our veterans who have put their lives on the line uh, to, you know, to defend our country and then in their time of need completely abandon them in every way, shape, and form? It's a disgrace, and And, uh, it's really sad. Yeah, you know, it took them over 20 years to make a decision that Agent Orange was actually one of the – factors of the veterans from the 1965 through 1974, I think, is when they opened the door of that campaign that a veteran had to serve a particular time in order to be put in certain programs. And so you're you're entirely correct, is that any veteran or any service member that performed a duty, and you can relate a, a disorder to the time that he served, and that cancer was related to a testing of drugs, radiation, uh, things that they were doing to perform. And then you have a father uh, under Medicare. We were talking uh, in the other two shows. I go to VA, and they want to charge me more money for medicine than if I go to a private doctor because under TRICARE, I can use a private doctor, and I can get my medicine through TRICARE script. Well, guess what? VA will not accept my TRICARE card. And so for that reason, they want to use and charge me more more money because they're going to take it through the Medicare program. And the Medicare program or the 
the program un- under the uh, veterans is more costly than using the other system. So what we're doing with the letter to the president, and we're historically setting up a lengthy one-hour show on Monday, two-hour an hour and a half last night, an hour and a half today. We're transcribing it. We're putting it into documents. Uh, this will be on the president's desk. And uh, the fact is that no leader in charge of VA has the capability of running VA at this point. No one that has gotten and taken over VA did their homework. Uh, they didn't get into it for the purpose of restructuring. Uh, they didn't have any knowledge of combat fatigue. Uh, they didn't understand uh, the uh, 16,000 veteran women and the problems on the front lines. Uh, why is the commander a chief not being notified? And if I was you and I had a problem, I would write a lot letter to John DeStefano, the personal secretary of the President Trump, and I would explain what's happening with my father. And I would explain to him that there has never been a secretary or a director of the VA that understood first-line commitments and problems, front-line commitments and problems. And this is where Stone comes in because of our age difference. He's dealing with people different than I did through Vietnam. And I think that if I had a staff, I don't want a staff of one generation. I want a staff of of many. Now, Stone has a student loan of $80,000, and he's a veteran. He's got to pay a student loan. I have student loans of $250,000, and I just went to the president with a letter of debate with the federal loan uh, thing, and they recognized my 501c3, and they said, okay, you're now a public servant but they won't recognize that I'm a veteran and that I am a on-call reserve or what they call inactive reserve, regardless of your age. Why is any veteran have a student loan? Why can't veterans not only get their education, which is the transfer from the military into the private sector, why can't they be taken care of? If I was a senator, I've got insurance. If I'm a member of an I get taken care of. Why am I not getting taken care of as a veteran? Uh, Stone, you want to pick it up from there? Um, you know, the government, <laughs> I always hate to say this, tried their best to give you as much as the as much as a GI Bill as they could, but it only goes so far into education. And it doesn't go far enough. I have a master's degree in network security. I, you know, have to pay for that master's degree one way or the other. And I am just a normal guy trying to live paycheck to paycheck in a normal life. And I agree with Dr. Tolbert. There's, I, I'm not here for a handout. I don't want a handout. I've, I want to work for the VA. I want to work for the government. God knows I've tried. I've set up federal resumes. I've got a pedigree a mile long that says I can do any job you put me at with computers, yet the VA still turns me down every single time. So instead of getting a great-paying job that I could be doing being beneficial to my country, I'm living paycheck to paycheck trying to figure out how to pay for this monstrous student loan. And 
it's going to be with me forever, and it's with Dr. Tolbert forever, and I, I agree with him. Something needs to be done. Something has to be done. You need to implement the veterans back into the system where we belong. We raised our right hand and said, I will serve the country. I will serve the United States of America. But yet when we come back, they're like, no, we don't want you anymore. That is completely asinine and backwards compared to the way it should be. The government should say, yes, we want you. We've put all this money into you. We've put all this training into you. We're going to put more training into you because why? We know you're disciplined. We know you raised your right hand, and we know we can count on you. But somewhere along the line, they lost this. And did they ever give you any type of reasons? Then we're going to bring it back to Joseph. Did they give uh, – and I do see other folks in the line just push the one in the number dial. And I want to welcome uh, Carolyn and uh, Daily uh, and Daily News uh, in the chat. Uh, so I want to welcome uh, you there. Um, and just push the one on your number dial. And so, I mean, did they give you a specific reason – uh, well, why you you know you're not, you, you're not getting those positions, or are they just not interviewing? Or um, I know why I'm not getting the positions. I think it's because of my pedigree and where I've worked and some of the companies I've worked that I tend to scare people when they see my resume, and they tend to scare them when they see what I've made in the past because we do live in a real world. We live in a world that when someone gets a resume across their desk, they're like, this person might jump over me this person might take another job over another person but that's just america mm-hmm. that's just the way it works that's the way our society is and it, it works that way with the va it works that way in the private sector so i can oh yeah it, i had that happen to me i know what they mean <laughs> yeah and one of the things I, I, yeah one of the things i did in the military and i taught is i taught the man to take my job And people don't understand that. If you're going to move up in the system, you have to have a replacement. So if you took Stone and you gave him your job or you were concerned about your job, you have to remember you need to move up to the next position. If you don't have a replacement, you're stuck. So always train the person under you to be capable of doing your job so you can move to the next position. So when I had 200, 300 people in a platoon in a normal company was only 200 people, but my platoon was so big and things that I did was beyond the scope of your or anybody's imagination to include in Vietnam with the Navy SEALs, that I made sure that any member that needed to be replaced, because in combat, if your sergeant or your captain or somebody died, that man under you had to be prepared to take your job. And if you moved up from a sergeant as a master sergeant into command sergeant major, you ended up in a totally different realm. Or if you was a lieutenant colonel and you became a general. So that general, that was your job you're taking. Well, in civilian life, it has to be the same way. Or in the VA organization. If Stone came in and took over a local community, he's got to be ready to take over the district. Well, well, it's certainly not like that in the private sector, at least uh, you know, corporate America. I, I, I could tell you that. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, for instance, I mean, they, they teach you just enough so that you can do the job and, and help them do theirs, but they're not going to teach you enough to actually be the one to be able to take their job. That's kind of how it is in corporate America. So let's go ahead and uh, bring it back over to you. Um, uh, bring it back over to you. Uh, gosh, I can't even get my, my words out tonight. I've got some 
Well, it's, it's been a long month. So let me tell you, it's going to be even longer because uh, I get uh, actually for for the real, real yeah. Well, I've, I, as I've said a couple times on the show, is and I found out why last week is uh, I've been feeling uh, ill with, with with headaches and things of that nature for the past month or so, um, and I found out last. Well, I mean, it's not a, a big deal. I mean, but but I did find out last uh, Monday uh, what it was and. I, I found out that I have an abscess, and so uh, I found that out through my dentist, which I hate dentists, not that they're bad people or anything, and actually my dentists are great people. I just am, uh, I have an irrational uh, phobia for dentists, and uh, for those out there, put either you know, whatever you want to put it, your, your prayers or positive thoughts or whatever, because I have a dental procedure I'm having on Monday, and Frankly, I'm not too happy about it. <laughs> so, if people put some positive thoughts out for me, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, I remember uh, back three years ago, uh, I was on the show, and it was actually the show with the night before I had this dental thing. And, uh, you know, I definitely felt people's uh, positive thoughts out there and for those prayers and stuff like that, uh, for, you know, for folks who, you know, believe in that, you know, things of that nature. Uh, either way, I, you know, I appreciate it. I know people on the who are, you know, frequent the show a, a lot. No, I'm not uh, a prayerful folk myself, but, you know, I do appreciate those who, who put those out for me. So just keep some positive thoughts out there for me for from uh, this coming up Monday, because, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it, like, at all. I mean, I know it's not nearly what you know, our guest has uh, gone through, uh, but for me, it's, as I said, it's, it's, it's one of my uh, phobias there. But anyway, let's go ahead and um, uh, bring it back. And then one thing, uh, Carolyn and the – in the chat, I want to bring up is unfortunately uh, her um, uh, her father passed away from Agent Orange at age 52, and that, that's pretty young, in my opinion. Uh, but he was an Army captain, and he's in the Veterans Cemetery in New Jersey. So thank you, Carolyn, for sharing that with us. And uh, Daily News uh, said like some kind of hotline uh, can be accessed at 855-948-2311. And it is a VA's first non-clinical, non-emergency, around-the-clock call center. It provides veterans uh, a supplemental option to report issues if they are not being addressed through VA's normal customer uh, or through customer service helplines. Uh, the number is 855-948-2311. says the hotline, somebody said, was established by uh, President Donald Trump to assist veterans with specific VA-related concerns. So thank you, Daily News, for uh, sending us that. And again, that number is 855-948-2311. And let's go ahead and uh, bring it back to uh, bring it back to you, Joseph. And then we'll uh, bring it back around. As again, I see folks <clears throat> on the line. Just push the one on your number dial. We'll get you in. Go ahead, Joseph. Uh, sure. Um, you know, um, I do not have a favorable uh, view of the VA. Um, I think many people share that sentiment. Um, I think at one time the VA did serve its purpose, but like many other organizations like the unions um, and other groups like that, um, it's just not not helping our veterans at all. If not, they're hurting our veterans um, by putting them on uh, long wait lists or uh, rationing the, the health care with the VA. Um, I think a, a, a really good proposal 
which uh, not many politicians have mentioned, but some have, would actually be to allow uh, veterans to have the access to be able to uh, have health care uh, and have health care network uh, through other private hospitals that would work in, in correlation with the VA. And I think that that's something that uh, is not really mentioned much, and I think that's something that should definitely be brought to the table because uh, currently the, the system is not working. And um, uh, what do you think of that, Dr. Tolbert? Yeah, and what happened in 2014, we wrote uh, 11 articles uh, since 2000 and probably five or six, but in the last year since President Trump got my resume, we've sent him nine articles on the VA. And there was the funding problem, and people don't really really understand the choice program and that the 800 number that we're being given, and we're asking that people go to the web, www calledtoduty.org and it's the third article which says it's being prepared to go in June Um, these hotlines uh, that the president did in fact set up were based on comments that we had made and everything is a coincidence people don't know how much we write we wrote about the FBI in February the 14th before the FBI became a problem we wrote about uh, the choice program when there was no funding before the choice program got funded. Uh, we wrote about wars on terrorism and what to do before things happen. Uh, we're very active, but what we're really active now is that how do we get that veteran that is on the street or in jail or handicapped to get immediate care without having to wait for care? And even though they have the hotline that you can talk to someone they really need to be able to direct you to a private doctor within minutes of your community. Now, when I go to West Palm Beach, for an example, and I talk to 100 veterans when I have a 30-minute appointment, and I don't need the appointment. I do that because I'm not using my TRICARE and I'm not using my Medicare. I'm using my VA because I am a military retired veteran, I'm using it so I can write and know what's going on. They are driving 100 to 150 miles, and they are legs are missing, amputated arms, physical deterioration, mentally incapacitated. A member of their family has to get in a car with them, or they have to call up on transportation to be delivered and taken 100 and some miles to wait two hours on a representative to tell them uh, our technician is not here today, the equipment is not functioning properly, and we're not going to let you go to your local place, which is only 20 minutes or 10 minutes from your house. This is where we're trying to take the veterans today in our next letter to the president, that we're going to sit there in the book that we're now sending him on marijuana and other issues which is 81 pages, which is also on our web. But this is going to be a very detailed analysis. But what we do in every detail, we do a, I'm a doctor of education. We'll figure that one out as a high school dropout. Uh, I will put up what they call an abstract. And from the abstract, you get an introduction. From the introduction, you get the table and the contents. And then you get the summary, and then you get a conclusion. Well, this is the way we're setting our books up. We're actually doing it this way 
so that the president can get briefed in an abstract, very small paragraphs, giving him an outline of the problems. Then it takes him to a table of content. In the table of content, it'll lay out on this particular page or group of pages, you're going to find this, this, and this. So he then disseminates it to his staff. His staff then can read it and then take and use it. Now, they never give you credit for what you do because I am no party affiliated. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, but I'm what you call proactive. I don't run for office to win the office. I run the office to teach the Constitution or to teach the Veterans Administration. So I'm doing this because I'm an American that gets called to duty, just as Stone is doing what he's doing with the Crisis 22. He doesn't get paid for that. He is using his time and effort, whereas, in fact, his organization should be getting a grant from the president. It should be a a gradual transition. They're concerned about getting big before they're prepared because it takes leaders, it takes an organization, it takes computer networks, it takes bringing all these other veteran organizations together where they then can tap in and work as one organization. So, yes, we have to change the system where your father could have been taken care of within a 12-hour period as what you would have done if you were a senator. I and we got Kelly on the line, so let's go ahead and uh, bring in Kelly, and then we'll bring uh, it back to you, Stone. And then I, I was given an article uh, by uh, Joseph, and Joseph, I was see if, um, trying to post it on the Bard's Lodger page there on Facebook, uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but first, let's go ahead and bring it over to uh, Kelly. Thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Well, good. I have an announcement to make. I'm Go ahead. running for I'm running for dog catcher. Yes. Well, it's entry level in becoming a corrupt government official. And uh <laughs> if elected if elected, here's my plan. At four forty five I'm gonna go to the neighborhood where there's lots of dogs in the yard. You know, on the fences, I'm gonna kidnap them. And when people show up at five ten after work, I'm gonna say, Hey, uh, you know, they're gonna come to me, What well, you got my dog? You know. Sorry, ma'am. Uh, it's after five. You'll have to pick them up Monday. It's going to cost you three hundred dollars, but if you, you know, hundred bucks, hundred bucks right now. But, but, but your dog was running around the street, ma'am. I have to do my duty. I have been elected by the people. But, but, ma'am, do you want a ticket? You can pay me hundred dollars right now. I'll give you your dog. So I'm, I'm running for dog catcher. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened with the governor of Florida. He took the position of two years in the military, got a free education, became a lawyer, opened up a medical facility, uh, made $200 million, pleaded the Fifth Amendment 51 times, and he's going to run for the U.S. Senate. Oh, my gosh, that's terrible. Um, Of course, I have to tell you, I'm jesting. I, I try to joke around when I come on. But uh, we do have an NSA spy that confessed. We'll get to that later. Um, And by the way, hello, NSA Bob. All right, so veterans, I want to jump into this because it's a very good, inspiring story. Erin Ryan, she's the field rep, kind of somewhat of a right-hand man to United States Congressman Doug LaMalfa. 
very good guy, Northern California. Well, Aaron Ryan was approached by a veteran who was living in his car. Why was he living in his car? Because he couldn't get a job. Why couldn't he get a job? He had health issues. He needed help. Well, why couldn't he get help with the Veterans Administration? He's a veteran, after all. Well, they kept playing games with him, and you know he had enough ability to write and tell a story. And and the sweetheart Aaron Ryan took this up as a personal cause. Who eventually got to Doug Lamalfa? That of course you know they talked every day. And of course Doug Lamalfa is a congressman. Uh, well, step back. So Aaron Ryan is doing her own investigation, finding whistleblowers within the Oakland VA administrative area. And uh, whistleblowers are coming to her, so she set it up. Doug Wilmalfa goes to the back of the building and walks in. Why couldn't you just walk in? Because there's all sorts of security. So a whistleblower opens the door. Doug Wilmalfa comes in, goes up to the uh, several floors, and walks up to the director and says, hey, what's going on here? We've heard a lot of complaints that uh, people that need help, they get shuffled, they're, they're their file gets shuffled to the bottom over and over and over. What's going on here, folks? I mean, this guy living in his car, he needs help. You guys aren't helping him. What's going on here, guys? And the director's like, who are you? I am United States Congressman Doug Lamalfa, the first district of California. I've been in office for uh, three years now, and who are you? Well, I'm the director. How'd you get in here? I Look, it, okay, somebody let me in. We need to find out the files. We need to know what's going on here. We need to understand what, why are these veterans not having the services they need? And, you know, of course, the director's like, well, uh, you know, well, pretty much what happened was um, that director basically got a transfer. How about firing their ass? We can't do that under Obama. And so he got a transfer somewhere else. Somebody from Washington came down and just kicked ass. Sort of straighten things up right now, and uh, you know she goes, "Okay, let's get everybody together. We're going to have a conference here. We're going to have a talk." And this lady, who is now the new director in Oakland, some person says, "Oh, Doug Lamalfi, he's an idiot. You get up and you leave. You're out. You're out of this room. You'll be lucky to have your job tomorrow." All of a sudden, everybody's like, "Oh shit, we got to work now." And so, guess what happened? Um, things started to change. This homeless vet. His file went to the top, and he got attention right away. What a concept. What a man. Doug Lamalfa. What a lady, Aaron Ryan. So some definite change was made, and I happened upon her a couple weeks ago. So what's going on with Oakland? Are things still better? Yeah, there's better people in charge, but there's still all sorts of problems. Hmm. So we have unconstitutional wars, and veterans get all beat up. And they're not treated very well. What's going on, guys? How do we solve this problem? I really like what Dr. Tolbert was mentioning so that the veterans who serve our country, whether they understood constitutional or not wars, they did serve and protect and honor their country, and and somehow government is crapping on them. In fact, what they found in Oakland is that the more you deny benefits to the military – the more chances you were to have some kind of a bonus or a higher salary next year. It was mind-blowing, the chronic selfishness going on. That is mind-blowing. Yeah. So anyway, at least you got – so Dr. Tolbert may be a CC to Congressman Doug LaMalfa on what you're doing for veterans. Gordon Duff, Veterans Today, if you've heard of him. Gordon Duff, Veterans Today, you can look him up. Um, 
and he's got quite the following, by the way. Gordon Dove does. So there's some tools to help those who are willing to look, risk and 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 risk their lives, the ultimate sacrifice for our country. So hopefully that Wait. inspires and gives some tools. Yeah, Kelly, are you aware of the fact that California has the highest number of veterans in any state or territory? Highest number per capita or highest number period? The highest number period. There are more veterans in California due to the research I've been doing the last couple of days than any other state or territory. I was really surprised. Well, I thought it would be in Florida, but it's in California. Well, it's because California has the highest population of the state of the of all the states. Right. We're like 35 or 40 million. So anyway, so that, yeah, that's kind of a, it goes to the territory. We happen to have the highest homeless population and 30% of the America's homeless is in California, mostly because of the weather and the high prices of homes, which is another story. What, what's, your, what's your thought about uh, privatizing and moving the VA where we have the usage like I do, where I can take my card and go any place because I'm retired military. So I have what they call a TRICARE military retirement card. So I don't need the VA, but I use it only for for teaching purposes. What do you think about it when we close down the major VA hospitals but keep the small clinics and neighborhoods open, but we then allow every veteran to be assigned and gone to a local doctor rather than a military a facility, which, by the way, are nothing but private doctors now, too? Well, the medical field is filled with two types of people. Those that are there to make a lot of dough and those that really care about people. My brother is a doctor who deeply cares about people. He got burned out, and basically the hospital was making a ton of money on him. And he got tired of it because he kept saying, you got to hire somebody, you got to hire somebody, you got to hire somebody. And, of course, everybody loves my brother. He's really sweetheart, everything, you know, blah, 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 great bedside manners. He even writes well when he writes a prescription. But he, just, he, he saw it, He's just, and he was totally disgusted with the greed part of it. So it's a complicated question that I, I'm not qualified to answer because of these two factors of those who care versus those that are filled with greed. And when you ever hear government money, oh, greed, 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 I'm going to fill my pockets – yeah, you know, how do you how do you how do you how do you get enough competition in so that the price is not super high? I I don't know. And then will they get immediate care? Well, if the price is higher and they're getting immediate care, great. If the price is astronomical and they're still getting immediate care, well then guess what? There's going to be a budget problem, and they can only help so many people. This issue yeah. gets terribly complicated. What? what? Yeah, what they're doing now, Kelly, and, and Stone, for everybody to know this, that your VA care is based on your income. And what they're doing, they're looking at your income to treat you as a veteran rather than giving you free care. They're looking at your income, and then they're looking if you have a secondary insurance. And Nathan, who was on a show, went in to get a jaw repaired, and it was damaged while he was in Korea. And when he went to the VA, they lost his paperwork. They finally found it, and they finally fixed the problem. But you know what they did? They didn't charge it off the VA. They charged it off to his private insurance, who caused his rates to go up in his private insurance because of the way the insurance was set up. So VA is manipulating and using your money for their own staff members 
but they're not using it for the care of the of the soldier, and they're then passing it on to another group of individuals that are not even relative or related to the VA. Wow. Um, I don't know what to say. It's just not my in, not my industry. It's it's not my uh, not my monkeys. Not my circus. Yeah, and and this is where we get back as a taxpayer, and we're going to go into that. Who pays for the VA? You do. Uh, you're a taxpayer, and 260 billion dollars a year is being spent in VA with nobody giving you exactly how that's being broken down and spent, and $51 billion is being spent in TRICARE, and you have a $600 billion defense budget, um, and yet you're not taking care of How do we unstructure this? It's kind of like, you know, when we say let's take the FBI, CIA, and Homeland Security and make it into one organization in order to reduce the cost. Well, you can do that. You can reduce the cost and increase the service. If you do it properly, and this is what they're not doing. They're only looking at is the men and women who are doctors in VA as qualified as a private physician? Did they take the job in VA because they couldn't get a job in the private and because they can make money under the federal system that they're assured of, but they could not do it as a private? Are they holding two separate jobs and they're only coming in one or two days in VA and then they're running a full-time practice on the outside. This is the complication right now, VA, that's not being explained to our veterans who join the Army for education, medical care, and to serve and protect our country, and they're not being taken care of or educated. Yeah, like I said, it's it's really complicated. The, uh, I mean, I, I'd have to... You want to talk about the construction trade? I can tell you, yeah, this, 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 and this needs to change, and blah, 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 blah. I'd be right on it. I'm pulling my hair out lately because of all the code changes, but I, I, I don't have a clue about the healthcare industry. Well, that's what we've been doing now for the last ten years. We've been actually writing on a lot of subjects, but veterans was one of our biggest subjects. And this last three days, just preparing for these shows, is five hours of study per day. Laying out the history, the the the, uh, the issues, the transition, and setting it up, and it's the same thing you do in your field. If you take on a court case, you got to spend six, seven, eight, ten days preparing just for one hour, fifteen minutes of presentation. Well, that's the same thing with the VA, in, or any subject that you want to present. You have to really know how. And the only thing you get from being a doctor of education is you learn how to do research. You learn the key words, the key names, the books, to summarize, to put them together, to relate them, to correlate them. Well, that's what you do when you look at statutes, you look at laws, you look at the Constitution, you look at cases that were relevant to why your client should or should not be charged with the crime or why a citizen should or should not be a U.S. citizen. So there's no difference in what you're doing from your standpoint and what we're doing is that we're more broad. A, a person with a Ph.D. is centered on one focus. A person with an EDD is able to accumulate many different areas and put it together. So uh, this is why I believe that when we go into the VA and we have a person takes it over, it just cannot be somebody that's centralized in one 
piece of knowledge, he's got to be politically knowledgeable on how the system works. He's got to be able to face the the Congress for confirmation. He's got to understand the soldiers, not only from the 1940s and 1930s and the 1920s, but also from the 2000 and 2010s and the 2030s and the 2040s. They've got to understand now that they've had to change the system because of 16,000 uh, women. I think it's actually 160,000 veteran women versus 1.5 million veteran uh, uh, males. Uh, how is the women, the coal uh, partnership now, and how do we treat and cross that line, and, and how do we reorganize the budget, and where is the facilities to take care of it? And I mean, it gets so complicated that a person that's heading the next VA if he's not doing his proper research or she's not doing the proper research, because Trump just made a one-star general first time a female in the Marines, so you don't know who's going to head the thing next uh, in the co-ed army, which is another subject. Uh, it really takes an individual that, and I'm presenting myself to Trump right now and saying, you know, here's your option, and I'm the guy you need to do it, and I'm a retired master sergeant but make me a one-star general because I have a master, a doctor degree, and Trump tomorrow morning makes me a one-star general because I'm retired military, and he says, tomorrow you're a one-star general, and all of a sudden it's General Tolbert in charge of VA instead of Dr. Tolbert because uh, the, the staff members want to see somebody that they, they don't want to see the fact that you're, you're a doctor or that you have the expertise or the knowledge. You know, they want to go back and, and look at things that are not even relevant uh, that how you can handle the VA, how you were going to take care of it. Um, when I was in the military, the three-star general called me up because of what I was doing. I would then go to his office. He'd tell me what he wanted. I would go down to the division. I would then go from the division to the company, and from the company then I would run and do, go and do what the general said. But I was telling the division commanders, the battalion commanders, and I was telling the company commanders, what was going to happen. And they did what I said. And that's where we differ from people understanding organizations and how to take charge and what to do. You have to be in that leadership position that you know how to handle people above you in such a manner that they don't become offended, but they understand the final outcome is that you win the battle, you win the war, you take care of the veterans. That's the final, that one person sitting on that street, how do you help that one person? And that's what the system, it's not crinkled down, it's crinkled up. How do I get the guy from the bottom going up with problems rather than how do I get it from the top to the bottom? Right. Well, what's fascinating about World War II is the Germans, they couldn't do much in the field unless the higher-ups make a call, make a call, up to chain of command, more, 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 up. Okay, then the call came. Well... By that time, the Americans had overrun them. Why? Because the Americans had incredible liberties to make the field decisions they needed, and they kicked right. the Germans' ass in so many ways. And and so that's you know an example of top down versus bottom up. And by the way, our country was formed bottom up. Um, we we well, that's, lost that's that. Exactly a fact. You know, in Vietnam, you know, when I was there, and we had uh, the overrunning of a uh, the Twenty uh, Fifth Artillery Division, and I had a small group of individuals in the Army Signal Corps, and we defended and communicated for the 
the Navy, the Air Force, and we did things. We had to defend the line. And if we needed permission to go defend the line, everybody to include the RVs, the civilians, the Vietnamese, and everybody else would have been killed. Or when I went out with the Navy SEALs and we fly down the helicopters and we had to change the way we acted and what we did, we had, we didn't we didn't get permission. Do we open fire? Do we do we defend the perimeter? And you're right, the German soldiers could not advance without somebody calling them up and telling them. The 13 colonies that had the weapons, which is the article going out by the way, gun control along with marijuana to the president uh, next week. Uh, when they had gun control and they're taking your guns from your veterans now, where your veterans actually should be security guards. They should be part of an element of of defense. They should be part of your homeland security. Uh, They should be part of the VA uh, protection uh, at the front gate. There shouldn't be police officers at the the gates of of the VA. There should be military security. Uh, We're not doing any of this. We're not protecting anybody in America anymore. Wow. Well, that would be a great thing to have a military, uh, you know, have a private there guarding the door. Why? Because if somebody gets rejected, their claim is rejected, they can, uh, you know, vent with another vet, and that vet can go up to Trump, you know? Hey, I'm getting these complaints here. You know, police aren't going to complain, but somebody in the military, yeah, you bet they're going to complain. That would be a good move. Um, and, and what they're yeah. doing is the recept- yeah the receptionists at the VA places. If you go to them and vent your uh, disagreement, they actually escort you out of the place rather than getting a psychological evaluation and discussing it with you. Uh, they'll say, "I'm sorry, you can't talk to that civilian re- reception in that tone of voice just because she refuses to listen to you." Uh, so it's it's a real problem. The internal structure of VA today is. And I, like I said, I visited over 200 of them. So I do things that Stone or somebody doesn't do. I actually take my travel trailer, and then I go someplace and sit. I can go into a VA. I can restructure things over a period of three or four months, and I can do things for a purpose that people don't comprehend. I'll make 200 meetings in the next, next eight months because I'm running as a, um, a writing candidate for U.S. Senate and proactive. But I'm pushing the whole idea of VA. That's that's what this is about. Every candidate that's going to run governor or other position is going to hear more and more and more about the VA, and I'm being proactive so that whoever does win, uh, the American people don't let them win unless they understand how to protect American soldiers. Wow. Very good. And we are at, we're actually almost at the top of the hour, if you can believe that or not. Um, so it's about 10 till – uh, the top of the hour, so uh, we will, uh, you know, so don't let your calls drop or else you unfortunately would not be able to call back into the show. Uh, so those out there uh, in the chat and elsewhere, give us a call at 347-945-7428 uh, because if you don't do that within the next 10 minutes, you will not be able to get into the show. Or if your uh, call drops, uh, we won't be able to get you in as well. I know we had uh, – Suzette was on the line, but it looks like her phone uh, uh, kinked out, so uh, unfortunately we won't be hearing from her. But let's go ahead and bring in John, and then I'm, hopefully I'll be able to get to uh, the article that was uh, sent to me by Joseph. But thank you, Joseph. Uh, uh, if you, we don't get a chance to get to it tonight, you can uh, reach it by going to the Bard's Logic Political Talks 
uh, Facebook page. Uh, and then you, if you don't have it, uh, just you can just easily put Bards Logic Political Talk in the search bar, and you'll be able to get that uh, as well. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring in John. Uh, thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, just fine. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to bring up a question because if anybody, you know, takes this podcast and listens to it, then they're probably going to come up with this question too. Earlier, um, Dr. Tolbert had mentioned that uh, Stone's organization should get a grant. And I'm like going, okay, as much as we harp about favoritism and whether it's constitutional, how's it constitutional? This question is probably going to come up. Might as well answer it now. How's it constitutional to show favoritism to one organization and just continue to, you know, perpetrate the good old bus, good old buddy crony system that we have now? Well, your answer is very simple. A grant is not necessarily from the government, but it could be from major organizations, just like you have out there now organizations, and they are a 501c3. And if we can take a organization and combine them with other organizations, then that grant would cause a link where they can inter, interact with other veterans. Uh, that would be part of the movement of, of restructuring the VA. So here you got 22 people uh, every day being killed, and what you're asking me, should we give a grant to an organization that's going to prevent 22 veterans from dying every day? Uh, I think that's a simple answer. Yes, we should give a grant. Uh, should well, we give a grant because somebody got... wants to search marijuana? No, not if a soldier's dying. But Dr. Tolbert, in all due respect, if there's a thousand organizations out there, how do you pick the one that's the right one without being in uh, violation of the Some Constitution? I, I, have an, I, have an, I have an answer to that. If okay, who, whoever's like got that noise coming, can they mute their mic or their, or their phone, please? Um, I have an answer to that. Dr. Tolbert actually came up with that the other night, and um, – Restructuring the VA would mean you'd have to actually put a committee in place to start to restructure and start to find out what would benefit the veterans and the soldiers. And, no, my company is not necessarily the choice. I, I would never be the first one to say it. I agree with you. There's no favoritism. But I think a committee that was put together for the sole purpose of helping the veterans might be able to come up with a company that, yes, does have the resources, the way with all to help the veteran and to put other companies and other entities together to help them. I agree. Favoritism is not the way to go. It's never been the government. It's never been the way that worked. But I think a, I think a committee that is trying to restructure the VA in the right way would be able to come up with maybe a team of 501s that they could put together and take ones that help the families, ones that help the kids, ones that help the soldiers, put them all together and create a separate, a, a new entity unto itself that would be a tentacle to the VA that would help funnel people into the VA and get the people the help they need. So I do agree with you. Favoritism does not work. I mean, but he's just using our company as an example, and I agree with you. I, there are ways to have it done. Yeah, well, I well, like and, what and, I hear. And real quick, I'm going interge to interject briefly here is that, you know, through my understanding, if you want to talk about the constitutionality of it, I mean, is not one, you know, there's not many, at least not supposed to be many, 
uh, duties of the federal government, but what, you know, isn't one of those to, you know, you know, protect the nation as a whole. And how can we protect the nation as a whole if we don't take care of our veterans? And if that has to be with giving even government grants uh, to that, I think that's well within the, the realms of the constitution and, and the responsibility of the federal government, because if we don't take care, if we don't take care of our veterans and, and because we do not, because we have a voluntary force, Who's going to want, in the long term, volu- you know, volunteer, you know, to you know, to be a member of the armed forces when they know later on it could very well be held against them? Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, with, um, you know, there are certain jobs that they, they they seem to not be able to get if they serve into the served in the military. So I certainly, even if, as I said, you know, even no, if it's a government are, grant, if there's yeah. one thing that's in the purview of the uh, uh, you know, the government, you would think that'd be one of them is take care of the veterans because if people decide not to, you know, join the armed forces, then how are we militarily going to be able to take care of the country? Protect yeah, well, and defend that. the country. Yeah, yeah Robert, let's take that a minute, Robert. What if, not what about if the president... Well, well, one at a time, one at a time. <laughs> yeah, well, you right. were responding to my comment, so I'm responding back in reference to what you were just saying. Let's not confuse ourself was caring for our soldiers with actually the um, political process of how we dole out who gets to do the services. That's what our crony government has been manipulating for so long, and now Trump gets into office, and the left is using all that same stuff against him. That's why we got all these stupid lawsuits against our Trump now, because he is allowed by him doing certain things that are questionable and giving them power to run roughshod over him and we the people, and now he's got to spend all his time defending himself as opposed to getting work done for us, we the people. And I'm wanting to avoid that here. And the other good thing is how do you make sure that what um, Stone was talking about earlier gets done? Because whenever you have soldiers that come back and they're concerned about going and speaking to any doctors, because, you know, you have a hacker get in and get the database from these ha- from these um, medical facilities, and then now everybody knows this person has psychotic or whatnot particular issues. It, society doesn't readily help them get back into, you know, a job or other resources to help them get back on their feet. And that is a bigger issue. Those two issues are the biggest thing I see sticking out, and neither one of them have been answered. And both well, of actually, the biggest actually, John, one that understands seems to be. Actually, John, actually, John, they have been oh, answered. Oh. The problem is you don't comprehend the answers because you're not a veteran and we don't have your identity. But let's go back to that a be second. Let's assume. Let's hold on one, one, person at, one, one person at a time. Let's, we let's, we don't talk to over each other here. Yeah, we just carried on a three-day show, and I've written hundreds of pages on this subject matter. And I am very well uh, adverse to your subject of grants and as a 501c3 and a 501c3-4. But let's take an assumption that President Trump gets my papers and decides he wants to form a committee. And the committee he forms gives me $20 million. And he says, I want you to restructure and present us how we bring organizations together. So I go to all the communities of all the VA organizations, and I said, now what we want you guys to do, we're going to set you up, and we're going to have you all work and expand. So Crisis 22, the veterans organizations, all the different organizations, we're going to have you all work together, and I'm going to help oversee it and bring it together. 
this is the direction that we're taking this. We're not taking it from the simplicity. You know, we're, we're people that have served, understand, been through it, and we have background in history. We write hundreds of documents, hundreds of pages. We do a lot of work, and I think I understand the Constitution more than some people might expect, and even some of the listeners might even know. So I understand the complication that a grant cannot be given through a budgetary system unless it comes through the proper channels, that it takes proper research and data, and it has to be for the purpose of restructuring the entire VA and bringing organizations and companies together. And the reason for the paper, the reason for the presentation is to ensure whatever we say is constitutionally correct and that whatever we do will not be a member of Congress or somebody through lobbyists taking money unjustifiably. I don't believe the grants that were done to the state of Florida to control the waterways represented what the governor of Florida should have been done. I think the grants are given improper to many organizations today, and I totally agree with you. They're not working properly. But given that the veterans should be the first priority and not the last priority, that we need to bring companies like, and we're only using Agenda 22, which Stone said, as an example. There's a lot of organizations there. How do we network these organizations? That's the problem. They're not networked, and they're only in one little city. So if I said I'm going to give a grant to to Crisis 22, it's for the purpose of tying them together with the 50 states, tying them together with the territories, tying them together with other organizations, where every organization that works with a veteran is able to call upon each other to work with each other as a national organization rather than just one identity. So please do not misinterpret what I'm saying. We're saying look at the big picture, don't look at the little picture, and expand this to where every veteran that serves in the military, whether drafted voluntarily or otherwise, there were people that didn't go in the military because of their own reasoning. There's people that do certain things for their own reasoning. I am not in agreement with a lot of the things that go on around me, but I am not going to sit there and say that I'm not going to say that we need a grant or we need a new uh, secretary of the VA who will go out and talk to these communities, help reorganize these communities, get them to work better. Why do we even have these other things? Why aren't the VA taking care of them? Why hasn't the VA, why are you donating money to an organization that is helping the veterans and the vet and, and VA has $280 billion and is not helping the veterans. There's a big story here, John. And it looked sound like uh, Stone wanted to chime in on on that, so let's go ahead and give him an opportunity, and then I want to bring uh, Joseph back in, and then Kelly, and then we'll we could bring some things back around. Uh, but Stone, did you uh, want to add to that? Uh, Doctor Tolbert is trying to take this step by step into the right direction. I understand the frustration. I'm never going to stop serving my family. I'm never going to stop getting that gun out of a veteran's hand, whether it be in Maricopa County, which is not small, by the way. (laughs) But I'm never going to stop. We're never going to stop. 
whether we get a grant, whether we don't get a grant, it's our family. We're going to keep doing it. We're just hoping that Dr. Tolbert takes it to the next level to get it to an ear that can actually open up and listen enough that they can start that ball rolling to change the VA, to change the system, whether it be vis-a-vis a grant, whether it be a committee, whether it be tearing down the VA, giving us all regular health care, which would be wonderful, trying to figure out what to do with the 300,000 employees that work for the VA now. The past is the past. This is the future. Dr. Tolbert is trying to move us into the future. That's why I believe in his message, and that's why I'm here in another state who still believes in his message. He's going to try to get this locomotive to move. And like he said, it could take five years to change the VA system, but it's got to start somewhere. He's got to get somebody's ear to open up and say, you're right. This is the way it should be. And the past is the past. I've got to hope that the future is much brighter, but I'm going to keep serving my family and I'm going to keep serving those veterans, whether I have a penny to my name or whether I have a million dollars to our name, it doesn't make a difference. I'm still boots on the ground and we're still going to help our families. And and it should be added to that. This is also going to Warren Buffett. It's also going to Bill Gates. Uh, These people do give grants. Uh, They give grants to overseas, uh, places. Uh, There are grants going to woman uh, educational system uh, by uh, Apple. Uh, There's grants being given by Bill Gates to the different organizations. There's grants going out by uh, Buffett to different organizations. So what I'm saying when I say a grant, you want to make it political, that's fine. But it doesn't have to be a government grant. A grant can come from any organization that wants to organize all the veterans into one group that are intellectually connected to a system. And we can say what we want about the breach of the Internet system, which, by the way, Russia did with the political system, which our defense system has been breached, our medical system has been breached, our uh, credit card system has been breached, uh, the, every system we have has been breached, well, guess what? Stone has a degree in security of Internet. So I bring him with me, and we stop that. Uh, I find people, my son works for Verizon and puts $100 million deals together so the system is not breached. Um, we can get into a lot of issues. What could happen? My job is to prevent it from happening. Uh, is there always a possibility something can go wrong? Believe me, there's been many times in combat And many times in my life, something went wrong, but I corrected it because I had an alternative plan. So do you have an alternative plan as an American to protect the veterans? And if you do, you send it to cfabamerica at gmail.com, or you go to our website at calltoduty.org, and you give us your alternate plan. You tell us what you think we should do with the veterans. And believe it, we will do the research, the background, and in June, a complete portfolio will be given not only to the president, it will be given to Warren Buffett, it will be given to uh, Bill Gates, it will be given to the head of Facebook, it will be given to members of Apple, Uh, it will go to the uh, Department of Defense, it will go to every member of Congress, it will go to the representatives, it will go out to the governors. Uh, we're going to make something happen with the veterans. 
It's not a small story. It doesn't happen in one day. And we don't take money. I don't take anything in my 501c3. I don't take anything in my 501c4. But I tell you what, I'm an American. I'm a veteran. I have uh, probably six, seven bronze stars, uh, five, six material service medals, 10 Army accommodation medals, uh, plus other medals and combat ribbons. I probably could match most people. I've been put up with for silver stars with with V for Victory by the Navy. I've worked for the Air Force, the Army, the Navy. I've been to Iraq uh, when we had the hostage situation. I've been to Vietnam. Uh, I know more about things than anyone that could head and run the VA. So we'll take it from there. Maybe you you should have that position. <laughs> that would be good. Well, that's why I'm applying for it. That's what this letter is about. That's what's happening. I am applying for the Department of the Secretary of VA. And this whole show for three days is in preparation to present the president with a plan on how I'm going to transfer the VA and how I'm going to go about and change the VA. And my plan is that we can do this. The president may look at it, that he feels that it needs to be a political person with multi-millions of dollars, and he may take whatever I give him and use it. That's fine. I cannot say I'm doing this for a profit. I cannot say that I'm doing this to be an actual head of the VA. I'm saying I am the one of the most qualified individuals, and I know if I went in front of Congress, I would have a background investigation of every member of Congress before I sat down. And when they asked me a question, I would rephrase the question back to them because the members of Congress have committed more crimes, have more traffic violations, more abuse of their spouses and family, more alcohol and drug problems than the NFL. Now, go figure that one out. There was an actual statistical study. So now they pull me in front of Congress, and they're going to ask me for a confirmation hearing with a group of individuals. I can stand in front of these people and make them look silly. So given that I would become a nominee uh, and a candidate, which Trump would have to select or talk, and I sat down, I'm not going to have the problem Jackson's having, uh, and he's not going to run because he can't face, according to Trump, he's not politically prepared to challenge Congress. Well, if you're not politically prepared to challenge Congress, you're not prepared to run the VA. It's as simple as that. You've got to be able to stand in front of your enemy, and today our Congress is our enemy, in order to protect our veterans. No one in Congress is even given thought of the constitutional breach that the United States of America is no longer the unidentified. It is now a corporation that was sent out and sold uh, through the banking system out of the Civil War. No one is looking at that the Obamacare was actually about the VA. It was a bill passed for the VA. They actually, under Obama, made an attachment. No one read the attachment. Well, guess what? They all agreed to pass it because they thought it was about VA. It wasn't. It was Obamacare. There is so much corruption today in the United States government. The man that takes over the next position has to be able to stand up and not sit down 
and take a word of somebody challenging them. They have to have the knowledge to say this is what has got to happen and these are the reasons it's got to happen and we're going to take all these private companies, organizations, 501c3s that are supporting our veterans, we're going to bring them together under a network where a veteran in these places have a place to go to to take care of their psychological and physical and emotional needs. Now, if you don't want to go to combat and you don't want to fight like Muhammad Ali did when he became an Islam and the people that went to Canada that did not want to be a Vietnam veteran or the members of society, I want to bring back the draft. People would argue with me. I feel that the education of our young people are not disciplined. After we had the Vietnam conflict, we had a failure of homes and families. After we had the destruction of the draft, we no longer had the unity of our families. You go back to 1960s. You go back to 1970s and look how your families have failed. Look at the, the, the draft ending. Look at the military no longer able to put boots on the ground. Look at how our veterans are coming back unemployed, incarcerated, on drugs. And you say no grants should be given to a veteran over the top of other organizations? Totally in disagreement. That man or that woman who defended your company has more right to your money than your local community that is getting a grant on how to check your water or how to put up solar systems like they did in the state of Florida and they, they gave a grant or, or the individuals doing your water pollutions uh, that have no idea what's causing the problem or, or the smog devices or the alarm system grants. All these grants out there, hundreds and hundreds, and no one is looking at the veterans organization being first priority. I'm totally in disagreement. I don't need political correctness. I need results. And I think that was a, uh, a good segue. Uh, we'll get uh, Joseph in, and then he did uh, send it. It's an older article, uh, but it's, you know, we, we could probably speak on that. But first, let's go ahead, and we actually only have like 40 minutes left before I have to shut things down. So it's, it's going really quick uh, tonight. And I do appreciate, of course, everyone coming on to the, uh, the show tonight. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring it back to Joseph. And uh, it's it's not that long of an article, so hopefully we'll be able to get to it. Uh, and if we don't get to, to the other topics, well, there's always next week. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Joseph. Thank you. Yeah, that that was a pretty uh, compelling uh, debate. And But I am going to have to agree that uh, I believe that if, uh, the president is not able to stand in front of Congress and is not able to face the enemy and is not able to take that direction of leadership to change the VA. Uh, and if the VA is going to be politicized, uh, I think that's completely the wrong direction that it, it should not be headed into. Uh, and um, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things that I've never crossed my mind before. But um, I have to say that uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, what type of accountability can we possibly have in the VA? What kind of realistic changes can we have in the VA uh, if president is not willing to confront the Congress on this issue or if he's willing to back away from this issue? Uh, I agree. The Congress is our enemy. And um, if the leader of the free world cannot... Uh, 
have the courage and the, the tenacity to take that head on, how can the uh, American people possibly believe that the VA is, can be restructured or can be headed in the right direction? I think the VA has been politicized for many decades, and uh, the politicization of the VA has not moved the needle uh, in any positive direction. And um, we have too many uh, critics uh, of people um, pertaining to political correctness. And my view on that is enough of the PC police. Um, You know, it's about time we, as American people, call it for as we see it without having to worry about someone else uh, criticizing our views and labeling it as political correctness or not being politically correct. Uh, We have veterans that are on waiting lists, veterans that are in need of desperate care, veterans who have died in major scandals under the Obama administration for being on long waiting lists. And it's about time that uh, we do something about it. We do something impactful about it. If our leaders have failed us and our leaders are continuing to fail us in this endeavor, it will only take the will of the American people to compel enforce our elected politicians to give them two options. They make the changes that are necessary or we stop voting them and we stop uh, continuing to reelect them. We take them out of power that way. And uh, that is, uh, you know, the fundamental problem is that we keep on reelecting the same tired old politicians with the same talking points uh, mm-hmm. who are not doing anything to move the needle, and then people ask, why are we at the precipice? Why is American decline? And sometimes I have to stop myself and I have to say, really? People wonder why? Look no further than in the mirror for those who continue to go into that voting box year after year, vote the same politicians who've been in power for over 30 years, and then they have the nerve to stop and complain and ask, why are we at the precipice? Well, you can't have your cake and eat it. It's time that we start electing new leaders. If people truly want change, the only way to have change is not to elect the same politicians who have failed us for years, but is to elect new politicians and give a chance for new elected officials uh, to hand them the torch. Now, is that a guarantee that it's going to be more rhetoric from just a a, a different uh, politician who's uh, not even a politician, maybe a a first-time person running for office saying whatever they're going to say just to get elected? Sure, that's always going to be a risk. But if I have to choose between the lesser of the two evils, I'll take the chance with a, a person who doesn't have a career in politics and who has never had a chance before over uh, someone like uh, John McCain or Lindsey Graham, who for 30 years have done nothing but put the party uh, in the wrong direction, and yet you still have people unanimously reelecting them into office. I'll go with the lesser of the two evils. I'll take my chances with the, uh, pol- with the person who doesn't have a career in politics in the hopes that that person may have the highest probability of implementing change. 
And that's my view on that subject matter. Yeah. And real quick, well, and kind of in addition to that, I want to add, uh, and folks can listen to our, our interview with Todd Watson, who was running for the Senate uh, in Tennessee, uh, Nebraska or Tennessee, one of those, I think it was uh, Tennessee, where he basically got ousted out of the primary. Uh, and I, I think that it's because, you know, he, he coming up in the polls and, you know, they, they felt like, uh, and I think this is one of actually Trump's biggest problems, is that, you know, they, they consider him an outsider. And, and that's why there's so many people against Trump is Trump didn't, quote, unquote, pay his dues by by getting himself, you know, working himself up from maybe a, a House of Representatives person up to, you know, uh, higher and higher up in the, in the political class, as, as, as I like to call them. Uh, and I think the same thing happened to him in, in uh, Todd Watson in Tennessee. And, and I think that's kind of we got to be careful with that because, I mean, they stay in power because they make sure they become our only choices. That's why primaries are so important, these primaries that are coming through are so important because that's actually the chance that we can get. Uh, but we got to make sure that even the people in the primaries, you know, are able to, to get through it, you know, without getting kicked out like Todd Watson did, um, you know, over technicalities and, and things of that nature. Uh, so I think that plays a line. And you mentioned, uh, and I don't want to get uh, to it uh, because you did share that with us. Um, and we can make comments starting with uh, yourself, Stone, on this. It's a short article. Says a whole bunch of Obama. It says a whole bunch of facts don't support Obama's claim that many VA bosses were fired over scandal. Uh, and this may even talk about the uh, the waiting list you're talking about, but because haven't had a chance to read all the article. But it says uh, I I don't want to in any way pretend that we are where we need to be, but we have in fact fired a whole bunch of people who are in charge of these facilities. And that's President Obama's town hall aired on. <gasps> Guess what? CNN <laughs> on September 28th of 2016. So the Obama administration seemed set on misleading the public about the number of people held accountable for the wait time scandal. At the Department of Veteran Affairs, VA Secretary Robert McDonald has received four Pinocchio rulings for claims about how many people uh, his agency fired or proposed disciplinary action against. Obama was responding to a question from the widow of Army veteran Barry Coates, who advocated for changes at the VA before he died of colon cancer. Coates had waited about a year, believe that, a year for a colonoscopy at a VA hospital. And by the time he got one, doctors found that he had stage four cancer and was terminally ill. Uh, the family later sued the VA over a mixed diagnosis of hemorrhoids and reached a settlement. We heard a lot of promises about reform and accountability, but still nothing changed. Uh, when we are, when are we going to actually start holding these con, uh, contracted doctors and VA employees accountable? Uh, she asked, was Obama's answer correct? And so it's a fact. The VA scandal unfolded in 2014 after whistleblowers alleged that employees at the Phoenix VA hospital manipulated patient wait time data leading to delays in access to health care and contributing to patient deaths. Uh, the VA Office of Inspector General later confirmed the allegations and found a systemic years-long problem. Two years later, patients were still unable to get timely appointments with specialists at the Phoenix VA. Congress passed the Bipartisan Choice Accountability and Transparency Act of 2014 in response. 
The legislation referred to as the CHOICE Act allowed more veterans to seek private care outside the VA system and authorized McDonald to expedite disciplinary action for senior executive service employees. It was notoriously difficult, as you guys mentioned earlier actually tonight, uh, to fire senior executives at the VA, which terminated executives at one-fourth the firing rate for all federal agencies from 2018 to 2013. And the goal was to allow the VA chief to place bad actors quickly, especially if one connected to the wait time scandal. It says the White House has referred us to the VA spokeswoman, Victoria Glenn, who said the South Carolina VA Medical Center has made significant and sustained improvements in the gastrointestinal department where COSA tried to get a colonoscopy. There is more staffing, better data tracking, and improved communication within the medical center, Glenn said. During the investigation of the department's procedures, the chief of gastronomy resigned, a chief of staff retired, and chief of nursing was reprimanded, Glenn said. The VA has terminated more than 4,095 employees since July 29, 2014, when McDonald was confirmed, Glenn said, but that does not capture people in charge of the facilities, or people fired because of the weight-in problem. We asked specifically about senior executives fired under the Choice Act Firing Authority. The VA provided these actions, current as of October 3rd. Um, and so we, you know, we can go on this again. You can find that article on the Bards Logic Looks Talk uh, Facebook page. But first I want to ask uh, yourself, uh, Stone, what were your, what's your thoughts you know, on the, uh, you know, on that uh, Choice Accountability and Transparency Act of 2014. You know what? Please don't get mad at me, but you know that little check ball valve that's on the bottom of a car that you have to fix? Yet neither do I. I woke up this morning. I put my pants on. I went to work. I had lunch. I came home. Bob at Burger King got fired today. I don't know who Bob is. I'm sure he got fired for doing something stupid. All these people in the VA doing stupid things, getting fired, accountability, trying to fix things. This is not what's dealing with my regular life. I'm like every American. I don't see this. I see what's on print. I see what's on paper. Great. There's two avenues to go here. If you're an American, you have to go to the higher up to get things done. Why? Because everything in the middle, I don't get to see in my everyday life. These, all these articles about the Phoenix VA and everything else, Great, wonderful. I go to my clinic in the Southeast VA. They're the nicest people in the world to me. They smile, they greet me, they shake my hands. There's volunteers there. Those are the people I know. These people in these articles, we're talking about 50 states. We're talking about the United States of America. There's no way I'm going to – I don't know his daughter's name. I don't know his wife's name. I don't know what he did before. I don't know what job he took. I have to go to Dr. Tolbert and say, these are my problems. Please help me take care of them because he's high enough over all of these problems to try to get it done. So please don't get mad at me when you read this long and drawn out. People are on wait lists. People are dying. I understand that. But as a regular American, I don't see it. All I see is me putting my pants on in the morning, going to work, coming home, getting my medication, paying high in my medication, not getting my appointment times. All these other people in between are just shadows that you just never deal with them. So please don't, again, don't get mad at me. I just, I just don't 
see all these people in their everyday lives. I have to go to someone like Dr. Tolbert and say, can you help us, please? Because you're high enough and you have the ear of someone who can help us. And then once it starts from the top, it trickles down. But everything in the middle, it's just white noise. It's just people telling me what's going on that doesn't affect my life. You can see, do you see the problem I have there? Well, I understand that. And I think actually further on down uh, in the article is actually saying how basically all these fires and stuff, and since we're on Bard's Watch, if Dark can say this, is bullshit. <laughs> actually, they weren't really uh, doing it really, or, it really or being is. as proactive as they, as they thought. Right, Robert, they were and stating. that's exactly what we said earlier. There are 360,000 uh, people working in the VA just from that avenue, and you're saying that they looked at 4,000 of them, but the Supreme Court ruled against it. So everything in the article shows that the Supreme Court ruled against everything you just said in the 2014. I do agree that the choice program that came under Obama was a direction that was taken, uh, was correct. But everything you're reading from any of these things, if you don't do your research and cross-reference everything, you're going to find that nothing is true that is being said in that article. Now, let's go back to a subject. You know, let's, let's take who is a leader. Uh, I came from Europe, and I spent 90% of my time out of America, and I was assigned to Fort Gordon, Georgia, and I went to command sergeant major school. And after finishing command sergeant major school, I wanted to take over the enlisted E5, E6 school, and I wanted to restructure it. And they wouldn't let me. They said, no, uh, you got to be a platoon sergeant. Uh, so here I am, an E8, a command sergeant major, getting ready to become an E9, and they want to put me in a position of an E6 because they didn't want me to take it over. So I'm in an auditorium. There's 4,000 people in the auditorium. The general gets up, and he's a three-star general, and he starts talking about how great he's doing. And I stood up and said, sir, I disagree with you. I think you're doing a terrible job. I'm, I get escorted out of the place. I'd be put in confinement. Within 24 hours, the general calls me to his office. And he said, uh, Sergeant Tolbert, I apologize. You're absolutely correct. What job do you want? And I said, I want to take over and rewrite the entire school for all the E5s and E6s in Fort Gordon, Georgia. He said, Sergeant, tomorrow morning you're now in charge. We are replacing the person in charge of the school. You're now going to head. And I took charge and did that for one year and rewrote the school because I will stand up in front of anybody and I will not accept what's happening to our soldiers and our veterans. And there is no way that anybody that can make a comment that does not have experience in leadership can sit there and deny what I say. Yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, towards the back, uh, bottom of the article, it says the Pinocchio test. And it just says, no matter how many times administrative officials try to spin this, the facts just don't support them. Twice we awarded four Pinocchios to McDonald for exaggerating the number of people fired of the actions re- relating to wait time. So what there was, you know, the article was doing is presenting what they were saying and then basically shooting it down. Uh, so you yeah. know, if people want to access and see the rest of that, they can. Yeah, basically saying it was it was bullshit what the what they were trying to say that they were actually addressing the problem is what the. Uh, the article yeah. saying I just didn't get they didn't get that far yet, but I did want to see what uh, before I continued yeah, on with that. I, what you know, both your 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 both your opinions were of that act. 
no, the 2014 and I, and I Act. Would like, I would like to get a copy of that because we have now over 100 uh, articles that we're attaching to what we're doing, uh, showing and defying everything the press is saying to include the historical data, defying the Supreme Court uh, decisions, uh, the amount of the veterans, uh, the uh, incompetence of the staff members, uh, the the lack of uh, of actual uh, people that are practitioners that have experienced or understand the problems. So everything we're doing is not because I'm giving you an opinion, and I never give opinions. Whatever I say to you, I will buy it back up with documentary proof to showing the way things are not being taken care of. And the person who takes over the next secretary of the VA that takes, unfortunately, a confirmation, and, and Tom Pastel wanted that not to happen. He wanted it move it back to where it was before uh, Reagan actually took and changed the system. Um, we We need to really just get this out in front of the president. And that's why... And people don't understand the talk show Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We'll we'll take the arguments. If a person comes on the show with an attitude of a congressman and challenges it, he's got to deal with me. Believe me, because I will not let you challenge me if you're incompetent yourself. And that's what I told the general. Well, it seemed like it didn't, uh, you know, go against you to <laughs> get you that way. But let's go ahead and uh, bring John back uh, to us and, and see if there's any kind of uh, anything you want to add on that, uh, John. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm not against you, Dr. Tolbert. I'm just playing Congressman John Doe because when you get to the nomination process, just like I was saying, Donald Trump, has said things and done things that borrowed trouble that has made this whole process that much harder. And for you to share your opinion that you don't think I'm a military veteran, because you don't know whether I am or not, but you claim to say you only exhibit facts. Well, you don't know. You went ahead and made an opinion, and then you implied, you know, that, you have these processes and stuff that you're going to want to do to make things better and stuff, and the congressmen and senators are going to ask you harder questions than me, and how do you know that I don't already have connections with congressmen and senators to help, you know, make sure that my will gets done? I'm helping you to be prepared for that process so that way you will be the standout candidate. But when you turn around and say, well, you just know the constitution better than anybody else on this show or whatnot well you automatically show that you don't have bedside manner to deal with our doggone soldiers because number well, one I'm, if you can't get through me well, in a respectful civil manner you're not going to get through the congress i absolutely disagree with you john you came on as a congress person and i'm going to treat you exact, exactly the way i would treat a member of congress the only difference is I would have the dossier, the identification. I would know the background, the history of the congressman. I would know who I'm dealing with. And if you come on and say, I'm going to be a congressman and I'm doing this so I can defend and help you to become, you don't realize how much detail. I don't give opinions. And this is not about you, John. This is about any person that stands up and makes a comment 
but will not sit there and with their own background. And what we said, that the members of Congress have more tickets, more drug violations, more spouse abuse, more problems, more bisexual activities, more sexual ministers and, and, and violations of the Constitution. And yet they're going to challenge me on something that I know better than they. When they challenge me, I'm going to know who they are. I'm going to know their past. I'm going to know their records. And they cannot come against me and say we cannot confirm you because they already know that I don't take that from nobody. I A strong leader will not let you. You have to remember, John, I've led two, three, four hundred uh, men at one time. I've moved millions of soldiers and troops. I've had generals come to me and generals sat back and said, you're right, Sergeant, we're going to do it your way. So I'm not the kind of guy that pussyfoots around. And if you ever dealt with a sergeant in the Army or a command sergeant major or a first sergeant, you're going to find out your Army is not led by officers. It's led by the non-commissioned officers. We are a strong group of individuals that need to reorganize the Veterans Administration. And this is not an opinion. This is a fact. Well, to each his own. But I, I appreciate everything you have to say. I'm just stating from the standpoint that you made the comment that President Trump re-racked the tape. Everybody's listening to the podcast. If my memory serves me right, you made the comment that President Trump should give Crisis 22 a grant. That was what I was commenting on. That has nothing to do with whether we take care of our soldiers or not. And number two, you implied that, you know, you acted like you knew me saying you're not a soldier or whatever. You re-racked the tape and listened. That's an opinion. But then you go ahead and say certain things you want to do. Well, I'm just telling you, if you go into the nominating process with the, that kind of attitude, you're, it don't matter how much you know about the senators and congressmen. They all know that they're undermining the Constitution every day anyway. They don't go in, most of them, in my humble opinion, don't go in there ignorant. They're pretty doggone smart. Most of them are lawyers. They're not going in there doing stupid stuff. They know what they're doing. That's why when we talk on this show and we say, well, man, Congress is never getting anything done. Baloney, they're getting a lot of stuff done. They're just not doing the things you and I want them to do in the right way. They're doing a whole lot of stuff to make sure that they and their little clique of fascist or socialist or communist or whatever faction they are a part of gets what they want, and they're colluding to defraud in order to make sure that they keep that kind of power. And I was just hoping that you could see what how I was trying to iron sharpen iron and be your friend and, and stick closer than a brother as opposed to me trying to um, make hay and stir up trouble. I'm not about that. I'm about helping you sharpen what you got because I want somebody more like you to have the skills to go in and take over because we need something better than we have. Thank you for your time. Back to you, Robert. Well, it's about uh, 1238 uh, Eastern time. Uh, One of the things, uh, you know, we're going to talk shortly about, because I think, uh, you know, there's a couple people here uh, on the – you know, on the line, know about is uh, we've got here, and I'm not going to read the article. It's just, but you can uh, access it again uh, from the uh, Bars Logical Talk webs uh, on the uh, newsroom page. But basically, it's talk about you know flushing the uh, the career politicians. I'm only going to read the last two uh, paragraphs. 
basically, so how do we eliminate career politicians? And I'm, I'm summarizing. I'm not even going to read it. It basically is, you know, the, the writer of this article think, look, we're not going to be able to do it through the electoral process. Uh, at this point, I mean, this person thinks, and, and in part, I, I don't want to have, I don't want to agree, but uh, and, and I don't really, I don't agree, uh, but I think we're we're getting real close to it being there, where the electoral process doesn't matter anymore because you've got the media, you know, you've got um, you know things on social media and how you know there, there's a, you know, just so much bias out there, and then of course then you've got the electronic voter fraud. Uh, that's you know creeping its way through as well. That you know we're not going to be able to clean the swamp with the uh, you know electoral call. I mean electoral with uh, the electoral process you know, through elections, things of that nature. I mean we've talked about and showed many examples here on the show. You know just a couple of weeks ago, maybe even just been last week, uh, where you know we had was it last week, but a couple of weeks ago where we had a candidate on saying you know they basically found a loophole to to get him out off the ballot. So he can't run in the primary. I mean, that's just how these parties are working. So it's really, you know, and we've even alluded to it tonight about how how difficult it is about the, uh, you know, clean up the system and, and getting, uh, you know, different people to be primaried. Uh, but, of course, again, and we've talked about this on other occasions, but, you know, it's a, a topic that definitely uh, bears more discussion is he's talking about, you know, it's time for a constitutional convention of the state. Now they're saying the, the the goal for for this article at least is to set term limits because there's no way in hell that these guys and gals are going to set term limits on themselves. Um, so I mean we we can you know revisit that two two points and we'll start with you, uh, Stone and I'm, I'm presuming you vote. I mean but do you, do you feel like we're kind of on a precipice where uh, because of the you know, because of the bi- uh, the bias because of the way the media and how many people are you know kind of just you watch the media and believe everything that they they hear on it, uh, and then of course even with the the possible you know electronic fraud go, coming out there, that the electoral system is it going to be the way really to clean the swamp or um, call it the cesspool? It's not. I didn't coin the phrase. Um, I think uh, Huckabee did actually. Uh, but anyway, uh, is that two things? One, I mean, is is, is it going to be that way? Or, and what's your thoughts uh, if it, if any on a con- um, constitutional convention? We are, I believe, this is my opinion, I believe we are running headlong into a one-party system. I believe that the splitting of the parties has become so much left and so much right that the United States of America is inevitably going to run into a one-party system where it will no longer be three parties because the views and points just differ so much or they start overlapping each other so much that you're not going to be able to hold three parties. You're going to have to hold an independent party and you're going to have to run off an independent party platform. And I honestly believe that's where we're headed to because I think the public in America is speaking out more and more going, I don't agree with this side. I don't agree with that side. I run in the middle, but you will truly, truly have a single party when you can get, something like the president of the United States come from a non-democratic and non-republican party, then I truly believe we're rolling into a one-party system. 
you know, you know, we've talked about a lot of that. I mean, I like to see a multi-party system, but you know, but that's that's a talk for another day because I do see that we are unfortunately running out of time for us to close things out. But I do want to uh, at least you know touch base on this topic. Uh, what about uh, what about you, Kelly? And then we'll and then I want to get uh, Joseph's uh, thought on that. Well, I like uh, the Libertarian Party because. Liberty, and there's not much to do in government anymore, so let's go party, Libertarian Party. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I've been mostly listening. I have an expert witness case tomorrow. I have to defend somebody against the fence Nazis. Yes, fence Nazis. Your fence is too tall. Okay. Government's so run amok, and uh, <clears throat> what do we do? Let's just have smaller governments. Let's have the local jurisdiction take care of our problems. <coughs> Except when you're fence Nazis. Um, did I say Nazi? Okay. I also found out today about the energy Nazis of California. <coughs> yes, we have energy Nazis in California. Thou shalt not use too much energy or electricity in your house or too much propane to heat your house. Huh? What? I'm telling you, governments run amok. Next thing you know. All sorts of people are building without building permits. Why? Because they're like, <laughs> F it. It's too complicated. It's too strict. It's like, no wonder why California has 30% of the nation's homeless with only 10% of the general population. And they, okay, 15%. Anyway, <clears throat> government's run amok. It's too complicated, too much. Why do we not make this simple? Why can't we make this simple? Why are we, like, I don't know, oppression by confusion? Oppression by endless law. Oppression by paperwork. Oh, my gosh. The paper pushers are coming. The paper pushers are coming. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just ranting right now. I'm actually furiously typing because I have a meeting in front of the city council tomorrow night. But the paper pushers are coming. Okay, all right. I'm going to turn it back over to you, Robert. Robert. Yeah, um, it's Dr. Tolbert. Can I speak? Uh, yeah, well, let, let me go ahead real quick, and I wanted to be able to get uh, a few comments there from Joseph and then, then yourself. Go ahead. Joseph? I don't know if they hear you or not, Kelly, or Robert. I can hear you, um, Dr. Tolbert. I'm so oh, okay. sorry. Yeah, get, get. Oh, there you go. There you go, Joseph. I'm here. My apologies, Tolberg. Did Dr. Tolberg have a question for me? No, you oh, go ahead. to speak yeah. about what you think of the subject. Oh, okay. Um, well, I kind of want to go back to um, the um, awesome debate that um, you had with, with John. Um, I I believe that both of you are very well-intentioned and very, very, very knowledgeable. Believe me, and I mean this in all sincerity, I couldn't shine your boots when it comes to um, the knowledge that you have. And uh, I respect people who, who have uh, knowledge and uh, you because you learn from people who have knowledge uh, so that you know um, what's actually going on. Uh, I believe that you and John have two different uh, views and perspectives of, of and approaches of how you, how you deem the VA uh, should be handled 
Um, and uh, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer based on what both of you said. I just think it's more of a clash of uh, how you view things um, in, in your own perspective, in your own lens. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, um, I think what John was trying to get at is um, he was just trying to um, emphasize, if anything, that he supports you, uh, but just trying to emphasize that, you know, in front of Congress, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of fire that has to be faced um, and take a lot of adversity in doing so. And um, I think he was just trying to get across uh, that, um, you know, he felt that uh, there was some implications that were made. And basically, if you, if you can't handle the uh, intensity of, of the debate at this level, it'd be very hard to handle it in front of Congress. So, so once again, I have nothing but the utmost respect for, for you and, uh, and John. Um, I actually think if both of you uh, join forces together, you both can do uh, amazing things um, in, perspect, uh, in pertaining to the VA uh, and have a profound positive impact. I just think you both have a, a different uh, vision and a different way based on both of your uh, experience and knowledge uh, of how to approach it. And, and that's what I took away from, from that debate. Both of you are very, very knowledgeable, uh, very, very well experienced, uh, but both of you have two different uh, approaches and visions of how you would um, handle the, the restructuring of the VA. All right, uh, Robert, can I speak? Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, number one, John's comment was strictly about the grant real, real, real program. Quick. Nothing. Yeah, but I want to talk ahead, strictly about the, the the independent parties, and I'm going to just skip over John and the go comments ahead. and the VA. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about the fact that I'm uh, the president can elect a council member and, a, and an advisor without going through the Congress, uh, the uh the advisor for security in the United States does not take a confirmation and neither does an advisor for the VA. So I could in fact end up as an advisor for the president about the veterans administration, not requiring to be that we actually filed paperwork against the Democrat and Republican parties on uh, antitrust violations. When two corporations are working together and it did go to the Federal Election Commission and also to the federal government. In addition, one of my proactive things is I'm trying to convince our president in the next election that he does not run as a Democrat or a Republican, but that I can get him to be the second president to actually run and win as George Washington did and, and change history that we no longer worry about the two-party system, but a third non-party affiliated. Now, the veterans of the United States, the senior citizens of the United States, and other individuals to include no party affiliated and independent people far outnumber the Democrats and the Republicans. Over the next couple of years, if I can convince the people of America to support the president and convince the president to run on a no-party ticket, I believe that President Trump can win. The only reason he stayed as a Republican, because the Republican Party realized 
if they didn't get behind him, President Trump was going to change and run as an independent and that the president would then be the president as an independent. And the Republican Party did not want that to happen. So our job is to, number one, convince the president how to support the veterans, the senior citizens, and the no-party individuals, which is greater than 60% of the total population. It's also to restructure. I am not concerned about facing Congress, and the background of my history is relevant because I present it. Uh, the members of Congress that don't present themselves accordingly and present themselves upwardly and present themselves honestly is a proven historical fact that they have committed treason. Uh, can I stand up against them? I'm not concerned about that. I think strength and leadership comes up to the fact that you don't tolerate insubordination. And when somebody becomes insubordinate to you, you don't accept it. And I will... Uh, as a military person, as I know Stone is, and other members of the listeners, uh, Congress is insubordinate to your American citizens. Go ahead, Robert. Well, at least they're supposed to be. <laughs> and at, at this time, uh, real quick, folks, uh, for those of you out there um, who are familiar with Sam Tittle, T-I-T-T-L-E, um, if you receive a... Uh, a Facebook message from her stating that there's some kind of funds or, or something that you can get. I think – I'm going to talk to her personally. I have a, a voicemail out to her, but I think someone may have uh, stolen her Facebook identity because um, she's trying to – someone says, oh, these humanitarian grants help everyone retire disabled wards uh, – Workers, young, old, and eradicated poverty, global communities. I'm happy because I got $950,000 cash from their new promotion. You know, so I think someone may have, uh, and I've been kind of playing around with them, <laughs> making them think that I think they're actually genuine. And I tested it, like, oh, well, text me. Oh, no, no, send your text message here. And so it's it's one of those scams, so be careful with that, folks, if you're friends with and if you do uh, know her personally, um, give her a call um, and let her know that someone uh, looks like someone's hijacked her name. Kind of look at trying to look her up here on on Facebook here, but uh, but yeah, just be but just be wary of that. I think uh, I think someone uh, may have. I'm not saying for sure, but I, I have a hard time saying just like, oh, you're on this list to get, you know, this money, and, you know, I think it's a scam. So if anyone talks to her, they may want to warn her. But unfortunately, it is time for me to close out uh, the show for this evening. Uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, coming on. Uh, we had some uh, uh, interesting and some heated moments there, but uh, that's okay as well. Uh, keep keeps our, our, our blood and, uh, and everything going. And uh, I want to thank you, Dr. Tolbert and uh, Stone for staying on later than uh, what you normally do on the show, so I appreciate that as well. Uh, looking forward to things uh, subsequently next week. I was hoping to get Suzette on. She's uh, working on getting, and she just texted me, uh, someone running for governor, actually, uh, in California. Uh, I've been trying to get some gubernatorial candidates here. I've been in a couple of their events, but I guess uh, their uh, communications uh, director has much to be desired. I don't know. Uh, I'll still support her because I think she's better than uh, the uh, the career politicians that 
she's running against in the primary. But I will have to close things out tonight, so I want to thank everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week. And I will, of course, uh, need to close tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So take care, folks, and have a good night, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Mm-hmm.